0: podcast world we're back again chad building this life ain't for everybody i'm excited for the guests i will introduce them in just a second but once again i want to talk about the 2019 north american whitetail championships 14 regions across america and canada we're excited about it our friends at wicked outfitters in the state of kansas as well as booger bottom georgia michael waddell and the bone collector crew are putting on an awesome ethical morally correct safe strategic event that's going to bring whitetail deer hunters across the country all together so let's unite let's go to their website nawtc.com or bonecollector.com get signed up it's three hundred dollars for your chance to qualify and win fifty thousand dollars cash money get that money fifty thousand dollars cash money and when you sign up for the three hundred dollar entry fee you're going to get an entry package that's already worth $500 with a Tacticam, broadheads peeps, all of the stuff to accessorize your bow. Get on it. North American whitetail championships coming at you this fall, North America and Canada. I guess that's kind of the same place, but 14 regions across Canada and North America, continental United States. Good luck to you. Can't wait to see y'all out there. I'm Chad Belling on behalf of the foul life. We can't wait to see you guys at the 2019 North American whitetail championships. So back to what we got going on today. Y'all know my, uh, guy you can't see him visually Maybe you can if you got really good vision, but this is Matt Pendola. You guys have heard him here on the podcast before. He has become kind of a life coach to me, a mentor. Um, I missed both workouts this week because of things that I probably don't even want to tell him, but I was at a duck club filming and doing photo shoots and had people from out of town, in town, and Matt's got two friends here today that he introduced me to probably, I don't know, probably about a year ago right now, a little bit less than a year ago. But when you hear these three individuals talk about what we're getting ready to discuss today, and there will be different topics, I'm probably not even going to be talking that much because these guys have so much expertise in the different fields that they uh, that they uh, make their living in pretty much, their livelihood. So I'm going to let Matt introduce our other two uh speakers today our other two guests on the podcast i'm excited about this because i live it every day i'm 44 years old i was a college athlete I, at one time i really did believe that i was going to get drafted to play major league baseball and i didn't because i wasn't that good and my coach in college y'all have heard the story before but my coach fred Dallimore at unlv called me the worst recruiting mistake that he ever made And when people hear that, they giggle a little bit, but it really did hurt my feelings for a while. But I remember it, I'm still friends with my coach, and it motivated me to make sure that I lived a life that was gonna be fulfilled just like it would have been if I did get to step on that Major League Baseball field. So no, I'm not a professional athlete, but the way that Matt trains myself as well as the other guys in our classes each week, I feel like I could go out and compete at any level. So that's what I wanted to get out of life, I got it. Matt Pendola. thank you for being here. Here is Matt Pendola to introduce our other two guests today, John and Naomi.
1: Yeah, man, thanks, man. So uh, we kind of talking a little bit, Chad and I, about how we can help people become better versions of themselves. And as we age, those answers are a little bit more difficult sometimes to uh, be able to find what we need to do for ourselves. And a specific, more specific path that we like to take is. That approach of an individual and their needs and their lifestyles and all the different things that come into play with that What they do for a living if they have kids how many hours a week are you really under stress? How much can you really get uh, as far as recovery goes? What kind of sleep are you getting etc? and so those answers become more and more difficult and really along the way I've had my masters group we call you guys our masters group right chad yeah, you bet yeah man and uh, you know our masters group great group of guys and really i've been working with those guys from anywhere from the last uh 15 to even 20 years in fact you're kind of the new guy in the group aren't you
0: um, I don't know. I've been there since 2006, and then I had a little bit of a hiatus when I lost pops. But I've been there for quite a while. I mean, yeah, you have. But overall, yeah, I am the. I got the least tenure out of the group for sure.
1: Right. So, in other words, group's been with us a long time. But you know, there's always more to learn, and there's always things that come up that got me questioning what can we do differently, what can we do better. So I started looking outside the box a little bit, and uh, of course met john first and started working with him started getting some questions answered there about what i could do maybe a little bit better with my aging athletes and uh, then i met naomi a few years after that and between the three of us i think we started to come up with some good answers for our aging athletes and we decided to start to make a program out of it and then even give some lectures about it which you attended last year that's when you met them And so I'm very grateful for these guys because not only am I learning to be a better coach and uh, a better version of myself, I can help you guys more because they've been so unselfish, they've been so giving about their knowledge and that's a rare thing that should happen more, we should collaborate more. But super grateful for these guys, Uh, John Hodges from Nevada Physical Therapy and then Naomi Albertson from Reno Orthopedic Clinic And really, these guys have given me so much, and ultimately, I want to be able to help more people, so do they. So we decided to team up, and we're giving uh, a little bit of uh, talk today about how we can help those listeners out there right now get to better versions of themselves, especially when the answers aren't so easy anymore. So I guess I would say, Naomi, you can introduce yourself first, and then John.
2: So thanks for the intro, Matt. Um, this is Dr. Naomi Albertson. I'm a sports medicine, family medicine physician over at Reno Orthopedic Clinic. Um, I did my training out in Boston at Tufts University and then internship and uh, residency fellowship at Stanford University. Been here in Reno for about seven years almost and have been lucky enough to run into Matt, unfortunately through injury of most athletes, but certainly together we've been able to team up quite a bit and. Of get things moving forward for um, not only helping people rehab through injuries, but also to get them to their better, uh, better picture of themselves, really. Um, and then, of course, I've met John along the way as well, so I'm going to let him introduce himself.
3: Thanks, Naomi. Uh, yeah, Jonathan Hodges. I'm one of the owners of Nevada Physical Therapy. Uh, Matt and I have been friends for almost a decade now. Uh, I stumbled into Matt's gym at the invite of a buddy of mine, and uh, unfortunately, discovered that it was a running group, of course, <laughs> and uh, you can't see me, but if you do see me, you'll realize running is not one of my favorite hobbies. Uh, so I ran for a couple of years with Matt, and I, I realized we, we had a lot in common and uh, treated life very, very similarly, came from very similar backgrounds. And uh, over the years, I uh, got into strength sports and became a, a national level powerlifter, and I uh, continued to compete in powerlifting. I'm coming up on 38, so. Uh, I'm moving into that max 40 category here real quick. So my passions are definitely in strength. Uh, My business Uh is in physical therapy and and I don't separate those two things out. So I look at individuals and I think everybody needs to be able to squat, deadlift, push and pull. And and I've applied that across the board to my athletes that might be Olympians or division one athletes or pros all the way to some of my folks that are maybe 70 years old that need to be able to pick something up heavy from the ground. And I realized when I started treating uh, everybody as somebody that needs to be able to deadlift and needs to be able to squat, that I started having a completely different view on how people should be able to move throughout life. And so when this opportunity came, came across my, my desk, uh, I jumped on it. And these, uh, these two individuals have been a, a great part of that. And so I'm looking forward to see where this goes.
0: That's awesome. Real quick before we go any further, Matt, I, w- I want to get a layman's term of uh, what a deadlift is because a, a lot of the things that we do in our everyday life are, are pretty much positioning in the same form of a deadlift, especially what we do. We're always squatting. We're always picking up something, picking it up or picking it up out of a higher elevation and and, and bending down or squatting down. Is a deadlift always, there's dead weight on the ground and you you strain yourself to pull it up? I know there's a correct form to do it, John, but is a deadlift, is the dead part of that mean that there's dead weight?
3: So you want me to tackle this one, (laughs) Matty? All right. Uh, so the primary difference between a squat and a deadlift, the deadlift is unique in that every other movement that you do, if we consider primary movements, so primary movements would be maybe your, your, your push, your pull, your squat and your deadlift. All the other movements, you have the concentric portion and the eccentric portion together. So meaning whenever you do a movement, you're going to lower the weight and then you're gonna press the weight back up. So from a squat or a bench press that most people kind of can conceptualize. With the deadlift, you're starting from the bottom. So you're actually starting in the concentric portion of the movement. So you're picking something up without that lowering portion. So it's a unique movement in that regard. And and, uh, it is picking something up from the floor. So, I mean, when people, when I tell these folks that have back pain, hey, I want you to be able to start deadlifting here soon. And and we'll get into a lot of the kind of the fear associated with movement, but when I tell folks that they need to be able to deadlift, it's because that's life. You wanna pick up a a 30 pound bag of dog food, it's the deadlift. You you wanna pick your baby up out of the crib, that's a deadlift. So these are primary movements that we need to be able to have some proficiency with and some confidence with as we get going. So yeah, it's a unique movement as far as when you look at the concentric versus eccentric, so the the lowering versus the lifting. But uh, I would still put it into our kind of one of those functional skills that everybody should be able to do.
0: And I would say that as far as the athletic part of a deadlift, Matt, that it's probably got the worst wrap out of any lift or exercise as far as moving weight would go would you agree with that it, it seems like from high school until now i've heard so many negative connotations associated with the deadlift wh- whether you're an athlete or not or if you're competing or not is that is that sound fair to say
1: yeah 100% john said it perfectly i mean it's an archetype for life so you got to be able to pick stuff up off the ground and uh i can't tell you how many times athletes come in saying even no offense, John, but they come out of PT programs and my PT told me not to deadlift. It's like, no, just not don't me. deadlift. Right, not you, exactly. And that, I mean, that's why I work with you, right? Because you get it and you're, well, you pick up heavy shit. I mean, you're, I'm sorry, can I say that? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're, you're strong and you get that concept, but most of the time people fear-based, you said fear-based that's something we want to get away from because if you are afraid to do those kind of movements that just means that you're not set up real well for life and that's going to give you confidence when you can do a deadlift i had a guy who came in he had a meniscus uh injury a tear and he uh was told yeah don't do deadlifts and he was real afraid of the uh, entire archetype, that movement, and we just started him off with the basics. We built him up, and eventually he went to twice his body weight on the deadlift, doing a really, really good job with his form and his function. And um, not only did he get away from pain, not only was he able to pick stuff up off of the floor without having a fear behind it, but he also increased what we call our mass specific force and he was able to start winning his age group in races which was a nice plus we didn't even see that coming uh just something he's decided to take up i guess i kind of have an influence on getting people running that's another pet peeve of mine you know people thinking oh, i you know running's bad for my knees and running's bad for me and i definitely want dr naomi albertson to say something about that because I feel like a lot of people that we've worked with, they have that concept and they just don't understand that we have to get back to the basics, we have to build properly and progress properly, but we should be able to do anything we want to do in life that's life, right? We just have to prepare for it.
2: Matt, I'm gonna cut you off, cause I think really we would all pretty much agree in this room that there isn't any one specific motion that's bad. There isn't any motion that's bad, but it's if your mechanics are off, if you're not ready for that type of motion, if you're, you know, you have not done the basics, then getting yourself into certain positions may predispose you to injury. And so that's where, you know, John and I kind of bounce stuff off each other frequently about you know, was it really the injury or was it really the thing they did or was it just that they weren't ready? Was it that they overloaded some sort of dysfunction? You know, but I think all of us, we kind of all agree as it relates to you got to get the basics down first and then move on from there.
0: And you talk about the basics, Dr. Naomi, as far as one of the big things that I've learned with you guys is the max 40. I love the idea of it, but I am conditioned to it. I'm in the gym all the time. I, I have, I've never really lost that mentality and I'm not saying that that's the right mentality, but there's a lot of people that I encounter on my travels across this country that don't live by that. You know, they don't go to the gym as much or they don't really have that background in athletics. They don't really look at it as something that they need, but then they do face the, the facts of, Hey, I am getting older and I I'm not moving like I used to things hurt a lot worse than they used to. I stay sore a lot longer. On those on those lines, Dr. Naomi, is it is the hardest thing in this getting started, or is it something that you could look at somebody and say, it's easy to get started, all you gotta do is do this? I or think, is it different for everybody?
2: I mean, it's such a good question. I think that there's been a ton of research looking at just consistency. I mean, getting somebody to change behavior and then stick to it is, really, really, you know, difficult, and that if you can actually get somebody to do that for, you know, 90 days plus, then we're looking at a habit, right? And hopefully it's a habit that's a positive habit, not a negative habit. But, I mean, I talk to people in my office all the time of, you know, if you, if you want to change those basics, just commit to it for five minutes a day. We're not asking you to, up, you know, uphaul your whole life. But you do need to get consistent about introducing some of the basic movements um, that are just functional for life,
0: Matt. How how do you, based based on what Doctor just said? What how do you get started? And I, I think, of, and we a lot of guys and girls have heard the name Les Nesbit on this podcast. But I always go back to your story about Les. Of he had a heart attack. He had injuries, major injuries to his knees, to his shoulders, to the point to where he almost you know he couldn't really even work because of how bad of a shape his shoulders were in and when you start talking about a heart attack that's no joke at all and you know how personal that is to me but when when you start seeing somebody like Les let's say that you're only 40 but he was 55 or so when he got started with you how do you get how do you get somebody when they say okay I want to how do you give them the confidence to even start i love what she said about five minutes a day getting consistency getting into a routine but it's so it's so easy to say that and it's amazing how hard it is for a lot of people to say i am going to make that initial change to stay stay consistent with this because all it takes is one little bit of failure one little bit of pain one little bit of soreness and then all of a sudden that routine's over
1: yeah so i i kind of lucked out with les he was actually 60 when he started with me I lucked out for a couple reasons. One, his doctor told him, you cannot hunt, I will not clear you, your insurance won't clear you for hunting um, until you follow this process. So I had some help from the doctor on that one. In fact, when he first came in, he was like, I don't wanna do this ballerina bullshit, you know? And then from there, he kind of accepted reality that he was gonna have to do it. His doctor told him he had to do it. So he was sort of my prisoner at first, but over time, he started to see the benefits or feel the benefits, more importantly, and we had some s- parameters. He couldn't exceed uh, 117 on his heart rate, and we also had some other things that we looked at with articulation in his joints, uh, so on and so forth, because of his knee replacement and uh, his shoulder replacement, et cetera, or shoulder surgery, sorry. So. When we looked at how he was moving, obviously, we had to really focus on some good stability and mobility in his programming, and we had to start off slow. So you're talking about a guy who's used to going full throttle all the time. I think about a lot of people progressing just too quickly. You know, Naomi and John already alluded to that um, so far. And so when you think about how you're used to just kind of grinding it out for an hour, he might go hunting and he throw on a 40 pound pack and just, you know, hike up a hill for an hour and then hike down that hill. He wasn't really prepared for it. And so there's no courage in defeated mechanics, right? Shout out to Bobby McGee, the Olympic coach. And so when we looked at him, we said, okay, you're definitely have some defeated mechanics here. And also we have some, uh, some issues with our cardiovascular system, our health there. So we started looking at one minute intervals initially. And so he would do a minute, where he would uh, walk or, or hike, and then he would do maybe two minutes of sort of stability, might do some hip circles, he might do some just single leg stability work, something like that, or he might do some mobility work for his shoulder his hip or uh, those kind of things where he would start to work a little bit more on his skill set if you will and start to strengthen that position again so you could uh, take up something like the deadlift and start working on those progressions so that he could start to get into locomotion just put one foot in front of the other but with better stability through his hip better mobility through his ankle etc. As we started building him up, instead of walking for a minute and having two minutes where we would do skill set work, we started walking for two minutes and one minute of skill set work. And you keep going up the ladder that way till eventually he was doing, say, eight minutes of walking in two minutes of stability and we kept going and a year later we were back up to where we're hiking up that mountain hiking down with the vest on and not only was he controlling his heart rate his heart health was Um, exponentially better, but he also had much, much better articulation in his joints, better movement in his joints is what I'm saying. He had better stability. He was able to have that long, strong spine that we look for. And from there, he just really took off. So that's kind of an example of how you can progress yourself. But all too often what I hear about, and I'll let these guys talk because I really want to hear their perspective on it too, but hey, I, I took up running. And I'm gonna do the marathon this year. I'm so excited. I'm like, but you, what do you mean? Wait a minute, you, you, you haven't really even mastered the 5K yet. Why are you going to the marathon already, right? So, you know, progressive overload is a concept I'd like to kind of review today so people can understand that concept. And in particular, John's work on progressive overload, I've learned a ton from John on that and really what that means and how we can make it apply to ourselves. And so it's relative to our life, our goals, our history.
2: Chad, you asked a really good question though, like how do you get people to be consistent about programs? And I think, you know, John and I are on the side of injury, unfortunately, you know, in the healthcare world, people are coming to see us because something hurts and thankfully, pain is a pretty good motivator for most people. And I think, you know, seeing somebody like us who believe in the fact that you can break down those mechanics, you can actually get out of pain. Um, John's going to talk a little bit again about, you know, some of the um, concerns and the, you know, fear-driven pain, um, poor mechanics that sort of just keep going on and on and on. You know, but I think both of us are in a fortunate position of, being able to identify those people and kind of get them going um, towards being more functional.
0: And when you listening to your comment right there, doctor is the first thing that comes to mind is the question that I have, and I want to ask both of you this, if you're in shape, let's say that Matt's like, he's the ultimate being right now. And I'm not saying that he is because I know that everybody's got some work to do, but he's in really good shape for 45 years old. If he stopped doing his daily routine right now, in your experience, John, how long would it take somebody of his, of being in this good of shape to get out what we call quote unquote out of shape, muscle wise. And then I want you to answer it on muscle wise. And I also want you both to think cardiovascular wise too, of of being able to engage being able to rest, and then being able to engage again. And that's where I fell, is that I can go hard, but I haven't gotten to that point. I'm, every year, this time of year, when I come off a of duck season, it takes me a little bit to get back into that way where I can you know, get my cardio back up. How long would it take somebody of his stature to get out of shape? Is I know it's different from everybody, but average, you think?
3: Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into that. So depending on the type of training that you do, so for Matt specifically, i mean probably six weeks and you're starting to kind of not you're starting to lose a lot of those fitness goals you have because one of the the crazy things about being a human is we have all these things that kind of feed into the high end meaning the leaner you are the more you can eat without gaining weight right i mean uh the stronger you are the less you have to train to maintain strength you know what i mean like so we have all these kind of like feeders that once you kind of break into this top end, like where Matt is, where if you're running around at single digit body fat, you know, Matt could eat, you know, a bacon cheeseburger every day and probably not notice much change. Whereas somebody else that's running around at 18% body fat, they have that same kind of approach, they start gaining weight much faster. So we have all these kind of things that feed into when you're an efficient, you know, mover and you have this kind of certain base level of fitness that it's, it's actually fairly easy to maintain uh, whereas the people like that we're working with that are trying to break into this level, they actually have to put quite a bit more work in in the beginning. And so, circling back to your last question, the way I get people to get started is you have to establish buy in. And I think what happens with young clinicians is we want our goals to be our patients' goals, you know what I mean? But it works the other way around. When a patient comes into me and I'm like, what's your goal? Well, I want to be able to pick up my kid out of the crib and not feel like my back's going to lock up on me. All right, great. Now that's why we're deadlifting. You know what I mean? I've established a buy-in instead of, hey, you need to deadlift, and they don't understand why they're here. Where I have rock climbers that come in, and they're like, I'm here for my shoulder. Why am I deadlifting? You know what I mean? And so so you have to establish buy-in with that person. And then when you're talking about this kind of detraining effect and how, to, you know, how long does it take to get out of shape, like what Naomi said and what Matt had mentioned one of the biggest things we talk about is that basically I consider anything that's a non-contact injury, that's a training injury. You, know, you are asking your body to do something it wasn't ready for. So a big part of the way I approach working with anybody is educating them on establishing what, we, what Tim Gabbett, who's one of the top you know, uh, injury risk reduction researchers in the world, he's kind of labeled this acute chronic workload, which is basically your acute workload is how much have you done in the last week? Of this activity, whatever your activity is, and what's that ratio of the, of the average of the last four weeks? And when people start looking at it, one of the biggest mistakes I see with athletes, especially like former athletes or anyone that's active, is they get sick or they have a season, something changes, and then so they they they're now their rolling average of what they've done has gone down and they just pick back up what they were doing before. So now they've had this big spike in activity on their, on their chronic workload, and that's where we start seeing these, injury, these injuries start popping up. So the biggest modifiable that I can do with somebody is teach them on how to manage their workload. And so when Matt and I collaborate with athletes, that's one of the things we talk about the most. How, you need to be tracking this. So that way, when we look at it and you're starting to have pain or you're having problems or you're having something that doesn't seem like it's going the way you expected, we can reflect back on that and look at how much have you been doing over the last week versus how much you've been doing over the last month. So it was kind of a roundabout answer to what you're saying. It could take six weeks where you kind of start getting out of shape. But the point of that is, is, when you're ready to get back into shape, that we have that conversation of what workload management looks like. So you have a smart, scientific-based approach to getting back to what you want to do and keeping your injury risk at the lowest possible level.
2: I think, too, you know, along those same lines, I mean, when we're talking about athletes, we're talking about one subset of the population. When we're talking about max 40, we're talking about regular people who are just trying to do their job or, you know, be able to throw a ball with their kids or, you know, go to the pool and not wind up with shoulder pain, you know. And I think some people were previous athletes, some weren't. Um, Most of us remember some time where we felt good, you know, and I think. All of us have that um, in our minds that we can try and get people to get back to a place where they feel not only functional, but they feel able to you know achieve whatever their goals are, like John's talking about, kind of getting to whatever their goal is, not what our goal is. So as much as you know like would I love to start training you know for 5k or 10k or marathon distance? sure, but I don't have the time in my life to be able to take on that type of a challenge. And so my workouts look very different than Matt's workouts, John's workouts, you know, many of my patients workouts. And so I think, you know, again, kind of going after whatever the goal is of the patient person, um, is really important.
0: I I agree a hundred percent. And what I'm thinking about right now and where I was going with that question is, If Matt can get out of shape in six weeks, but he has the ability to eat a double cheeseburger every day and not really get affected with his leanness and his body fat index, what if you stop working out for 20 years, John? What if you were a college athlete and now all of a sudden you are 40, you got done playing college baseball or college football at 21, 22 years old, didn't get drafted into the pros and you said, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm a construction worker, which is awesome. But you don't work out anymore. And let's say that you're not an active construction worker out in the field, you're a superintendent behind a desk. Can that guy, 20 years later, pick up where he left off 20 years before? Or has it is it too late?
3: Well, he can't pick up in the regard of like, can you do the workout that he did 20 years ago? But. Can you get to that absolutely there there's there there's a ceiling right of what we can adapt to but that ceiling is way higher than what most people are trying to get to you know what i mean so so if that person comes to me and they're like hey i was a i was a very athletic person and i've gotten out of it and then and this is once a week i have this conversation you know somebody that wants to get back into things the biggest thing i can do is set appropriate expectations you know what i mean so when you talk about oh i get a little bit of soreness or something kind of goes sideways i address that out of the gates you know so hey We're going to start some stuff. I'm going to try some intensity-based progressions here. You might get sore. It might even aggravate your symptoms. But this is part of the process because then I can establish where your bookends are. I can establish what your ceiling is right now, and then we can program out of that. So that way, when that person does have soreness or their knee hurts, when they did something, instead of just throwing it all in the trash can, they're like, well, we, we've talked about this. So being able to set appropriate expectations early is what gives you the ability to kind of navigate some of those obstacles as they show up and allow somebody to kind of have a, a plan of trying to achieve these goals later. So I tell them, it's been 20 years, it might take you a year two years to feel like you're actually starting to move some decent weight or you're running at a pretty good pace or whatever and if they understand the expectations early then we don't have to deal with a lot of those problems where people get discouraged it's like these fad diets right so yeah if you want to be ketogenic that's great i don't have a problem with that The problem is it sets unrealistic expectations, right? You drop 15 pounds the first week and now all of a sudden these people get discouraged when they're dropping two pounds six weeks in and the whole thing goes away. Whereas if you set that expectation early, Hey, if you do ketogenic diets, you're going to drop 15 pounds then you might drop another eight pounds, but then it's going to go to two pounds. You're going to adapt and it's going to be a slow process. That person will stick with that a lot longer. So it's, it's always about making sure that you're addressing things in the distance up early so that people want to have a plan when they start navigating those.
0: Would you say right now in America or in, in your study group that you get to see in this area and Matt you can chime in on this as well because you deal with this every day. Would you say that as far as a routine goes is it harder to get a max 40 participant 40 years old or where you're you know 38 somewhere in there. Is it the working out or the nutrition that's hard to adapt to and stay consistent with. Because I would guess, if I was a betting man, I would say nutrition for sure. I could easily go on a walk, I'll go do curls, or I'll go get on a a VersaClimber or something. But the nutrition part, it's almost like it's impossible to get somebody to change their eating habits and especially stay consistent. Like the quote on Matt's wall is, athletes don't diet and exercise, they eat and train. That's a hard mentality to get by when food, one, when what I do, here's an example, then I'll let you answer show up at the mini mart, you meet your hunters there in the morning, you got to get some gas, you fill up with some coffee. And then what's available to you, right? You don't meal prep as a hunter. There's jerky, which is a pretty good high sodium, high in protein, low in fat lean, there's good jerkies out there. That's what I've learned to choose. Once in a while, I'll cheat a little bit, but I love going into a Maverick and getting jerky and a banana. But most people, and me, five years ago, before I really started caring, would have been the donut, would have been the six-pack of little donuts, would have been the Pop-Tarts, would have been the 44-ounce soda with a ton of sugar. You know what I'm saying? There's so much. It's so easy to fail nutrition-wise. Would it be safe to say that that's the hardest part?
3: I mean, I would say it's definitely individual driven, you know what I mean? Some people, especially the the way I navigate nutrition with most people, is educating them on like macronutrients and, and some people that are are very kind of math based or that it turns into a game, you know, I tell them it's like balancing your checkbook. You know what I mean? You're, you're saving money to spend money on something else. So if you want that little six pack of donuts, you get 50 bucks a day for food. That's $48 of your food. So if you, you know the other two bucks, you want to spend on ice cubes and, and, boiled chicken, then that's cool. But you have to be able to make that decision. So I think having that patient or that athlete involved in the process is super important. Like, what makes more sense to you? I got a guy right now that I'm trained 45 years old. He's had seven knee surgeries. He raced his motorcycle. I mean, he's a hard... I mean, he's a steel worker. I mean, this dude works hard, but he's got so many injuries that I have to figure out what makes sense for him. And he's he's Italian. He's like, he cooks with a cup of olive oil. So it's like, can you just cut that to a half cup and just see if you really notice the difference? With my grandma's recipe, you know, it's kind of one of those conversations where I have to meet that individual where they're at. I would say nutrition typically is the hardest and Naomi probably has a a much better, you know, uh, answer than I do. But, and it comes from so much poor education out there on what is good nutrition. So even with the guy I'm talking to, I was like, I had, I just had a big salad last night. I'm like, cool, but that's not, I mean, I don't think that's good or bad. Like, I mean, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, are we getting enough, you know, fuel for what you're trying to do? Are we maximizing your potential for your training? So I have to establish a value to the nutrition part, right? I'm like, I need you to eat some carbs. If your complaint is that you're not putting on enough muscle, you know what I mean? So the individual is really going to make a big decision. and, And Naomi probably has a much better nutrition answer than I do.
2: I'm not an nutritionist, in but I am interested in this topic, <laughs> and I have spent a lot of time reading a lot of research. But that being said, I think you know, with a, especially our Max 40 group, you know, we know we're losing muscle, we know we're losing strength as we age. That is a natural part of aging, and the ways that you can combat that that have been proven out in the research is exercise consistently high protein in your diet. And when I say high protein, I'm going based on the International Society of Sports Nutrition recommendations, which is a gram of dietary protein per pound lean body mass. Um, Certainly creatine in low doses can be effective to help slow down or even stop some of the muscle wasting. And then, you know, again, that regular exercise and specifically weight-bearing exercise. Um, I think some of our older patients, you know, in their 60s, 70s, 80s, have this fear of weight training And it's really unfortunate because that's the thing that they'd benefit from most.
0: Do you agree, Matt, that with what she just said that let's just take guys that are our age, is there, are we not the norm? And when it comes to the, the fear of this, like what he's doing at 38, that's not normal, right? At 38. I mean, there are 38 year olds, but most of the guys that are lifting that kind of weight and staying in that good of a shape, that's not. The norm, right? Is it because of fear? Is that why we don't see more people knocking down your door as they get into their 40s and 50s to to lift muscle and move weight around? I mean, lift weight and move it around? Is it fear? Are people, most people scared to do this?
1: I don't know if they're scared. I mean, I, I know what you're getting at there. I I do feel like a lot of people have tried and failed, and I feel like sometimes they have just quit on themselves and they just think that it's not something they can do, which is unfortunate. Or maybe sometimes they have gone into programs where they didn't have um, a good education behind the program or behind the training. In in other words, there wasn't any science behind the training. Maybe they got into trouble that way. And again, maybe they didn't follow uh, the correct progressive path for themselves, I think is a good way to say that. And the same thing with dieting, really, is how many times have people dieted and failed? And really, the thing I'm constantly preaching is don't diet, right? I mean, do what works for you. If it works for you is my main rule. I don't really care what you're on, like John alluded to, right? I don't really care what you're doing as long as it works for you and you can continue to do it. And like these guys have been talking about, you need to have a plan for yourself and expectations. So you know that this is something that's going to be a struggle, but it's worth the struggle. And you can't have unrealistic expectations, this whole like, oh, 30 day challenge and three months body transformation. And I think so many people have gotten sort of stuck on that rotation and they don't realize that they, if they just looked at this at three years, not three weeks or three months that they could absolutely make some real solid habitual changes that are going to allow them to feel better. Yes, look better, but more importantly, live better. So when they're talking about doing a new program for themselves, the first thing I always ask is, this is something you can do in a year from now, or is it just temporary? Because if it's temporary, I'd rather you take a better look at the changes that you can make long-term and use that as your guideline.
3: And Matt, I mean, to your point, with setting expectations is, when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to physical strength and health and wellness, we have to recalibrate our conversation, right? When we look at other parts of our life, we look at wealth, right? If I got an 8% return a year on my portfolio, it's a solid year, I'm pretty happy about that, right? The people that wanna have a a 30 or 50% return in 30 days they're all out there, right? That get rich quick scheme is always out there, but it's the the general population, they'll take that 8% all day. So if I can tell somebody, you can lose half a pound a week for the next year, or you can lose 15 pounds in the next month, but you're probably getting it back, if not more, which is what we see in the literature. Most people will say, so I can drop 26 pounds over the next year. Absolutely. And, you won't, and it won't be this big crazy lifestyle change will be slow accumulation of, of just improving your knowledge of what works for you and what doesn't and getting you getting you into a sustainable model and so when we look at when we talk about this to a lot of other you know areas of what I do when we look at life we have this kind of common sense rational approach when we start looking at ourselves we don't you know we start we start wanting these kind of things to happen very quickly and to be having these big you know these big changes and and it's just not really sustainable. It's not unreal. It's not realistic. And so that's when people struggle and they fail. And like Matt talks about, people fail a couple of times, and now they get really discouraged. Or what you had talked about, you know, it's been twenty years. Now those guys don't even know where to start. And so it's easier to not even step into the door. Then and, and it's just easier just to kind of just be you know, I don't know if it's satisfied, complacent with the way complacent. that your life is going.
2: Well, and I've even taken a step further from you, John, is that, you know, those same people, right, who were fit say, college, and then they, you know, slacked off or changed jobs or other stressors in life or whatever, and took time off. And then now they're trying to get back to it, and maybe they overdo it at the beginning. And then they wind up in my office or in your office because they're injured. Right. And then it's like, ah, oh, shoot. Okay. And it is, it's just setting that, you know, expectation of what is your goal? Is your goal to be how you were when you were 20? Or is your goal to be functional with your kids, with your whatever, be able to go for a hike on the weekend or ski during ski season, or, you know, what is your goal? And I think, you know, that's where our max 40 crowd in particular you know they they don't have a ton of time to exercise or to uphold their you know upheave their diet or you know make huge differences in those things mostly because many of our forty somethings are in the you know height of their careers um, or getting to that point right they have a huge number of commitments whether it's to family or spouses or you know whatever and so finding more time for exercise for you know, even just going to a different grocery store or changing, okay, now we're gonna make dinner instead of pick dinner up, you know, is these are big, gigantic life changes. And so I totally agree with what Matt's talking about of, you know, just being being honest with yourself, being consistent with that honesty once you've established it.
0: And it's funny to hear you, because when he was talking, I was, I was trying to approach the mic to, and I didn't want to cut you off, but I was gonna say, if I went and took a, a a focus group or a study at a $10 a month gym where it's packed on a, on a Wednesday. And everybody that walked through that door had to put a necklace on with a piece of paper on their chest that had their age on it. I would guess with what I see when I go into these gyms, cause I do go in there a couple days a week to do cardio. I would say that they're eighteen to thirty, and then it skips tw- fifteen to twenty years, and then it's the guy that his doctor told him you you need to get in there and do cardio because you're sixty five or whatever, or it's the guys in their mid fifties that have done raising their kids, their kids have moved on to college, they're out of the house, and they have some more time to themselves, and it, you see that in these gyms the age the age gaps there because when I was twenty one to. 35 I was relentless you know and then I had a kid and then I started a career and I started getting busy with all these commitments like Dr. Naomi saying and that's it's almost like no wonder you guys are talking to this age group right here at 40 years old because it is the hardest time in your life to stay committed to a routine with the hustle and bustle of everyday living. So now I just figured that out. I literally just went, a bell just went off my hand, went, whoa, that's why we're talking about max 40 instead of max 60 or max 55. This is like the hardest time in our lives to stay focused and stay part of it's easier for you because this is what you do you're in a gym all day i'm not saying it's easy by any means i'm not saying it's easy but at least you're living it you know you got it's so a guy 45 that doesn't live it it's a way harder for me to get to the gym than it is for him not an excuse wise i'll find every excuse in the book not to go literally i will try to talk myself out of it but i because of him and other people and things in my life I, i i go but it's hard at this age in our life. And I just, I don't know why I keep rumbling on. I just figured that out that that's why you guys are calling this max 40. Cause it really is a difficult time in our life to stay focused.
2: Well, and it's really critical, right? Because if like we're talking about you, you back off on your activity, you're not staying active. You don't build that lean body mass. Then by the time you hit 50 and those darn joints start, you know, degenerating, you have pain that's now associated with that weakness. Now you get more and more dysfunction. Then all of a sudden, darn it, you're 60 and you can't get up out of a chair, right? Yeah. That's a huge deal. So, from a medical perspective, you know, I'm absolutely focused on the a younger age group th- from 35 on, where I think it's it's critical that you're not only watching yes what you eat and you know, but more importantly, trying to stay
1: active. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I also think that we're talking about people who are raising families talking about people who are still kind of at the peak of their professional careers. John alluded to this before, but I remember talking to a client of ours that we've shared, which is John Metzger. And John was so excited when he could just put his groceries away and reach up into the cupboard and not have pain in his shoulder doing it. Right. Or when he was able to, you know, chase his kid around and just have fun at the park. Right. So when you talked about before, it's easy for me having a gym. Well, yes, I, I understand what you mean there, but when my, my kid was born, I was competing. I actually found it easier then to be able to stick with my goals. For one, I was a little bit more selfish. I didn't have to, you know, structure my day around, around my family as much. Right. But also, I got home one morning when I was uh, training for nationals and uh, I was my goal was to win that year and I got home I had just done a hard session on the bike and my daughter wanted to play now granted I had been up four in the morning went and did my biking, came back home and I was too tired to play and I just said to myself that's not my why anymore review you you know I, I want to be. A better dad I want to be present I don't want to be in a fog because I'm so tired from all this training so I made the decision to stop competing right and at that time that's when I actually struggled a little bit more with my uh, goals because I no longer had that competition in front of me so I started to realize what a lot of my clients were struggling with and that put things in a better perspective for me but review you you know what's important to you what is your why why is this important for you to deadlift? Like John was saying, right? Why do you want to do these things? This is ultimately the first thing you need to do is you need to focus on your why, not so-and-so, right? And when it comes to guys like John, John is supremely strong. And I have to admit, you know, there's times when I've decided I'm going to get strong, right? I just want to get strong. And then my joints start hurting a little bit and I feel sloggy when I try to run. And Like, that's not me. That's not who I want to be. I want to be stronger, but I maybe you know, and focus too much on being more like so-and-so, like somebody like John. And like he said, he discovered that he really didn't want to run that much, right? Maybe he should be doing some sprints. Pretty much ever. <laughs> Won't run to the car in the rain, right? Is that uh, what you're saying? there's a line on the loose, on the first one down. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, relatively, that's, that's what we're talking about here is review you and what is important to you and what kind of person do you really want to uh, be? And it doesn't have to be about training for a marathon doesn't have to be about being uh, what, John, you're the state Olympic lift power champion something. Oh, my God. <laughs> three-time Nevada State bench press champion. <laughs> Yeah, man. Three time, time, man. Hey, man. And uh, and, and really, when the three of us get together, that's when I think we really have something special. Because uh, really, we don't say it enough, but Dr. Albertson over there, she is not only a doctor in her busy schedule and has a family, right? But she actually probably has the most well-balanced fitness uh, out of the three of us, just in the fact that she's not at one end of the scope or the other. She balances it in the middle. So... With the three of us i think that's where we can really put things into perspective for people who have questions about how do i how do I get to a better version of me and not try to be so-and-so? The last thing I'll say, because I know John wants to, you know, wants me to stop talking. I talk too much. No, you're, uh,
0: I, your first comment that you just said was one of the best that you've ever made. The point you made with your daughter in that day you came home, that's a, that's a point that I think people need to listen to of the why. Because I've heard you say, probably, if I've heard you say it once, I've heard you say it a thousand times, is what's your why? And I never knew that about you. So when I said that it's easier for you, I didn't mean it like, you know, you still don't, you're still not like driven and focused, but to hear you say, you know, when when Mia came along and you got home and you're like, man, I can't, I don't even have enough energy to play with my daughter. It wasn't like, oh, I need to get in better shape. It was, no, I want to be present. And that's a huge, that's a huge thing to me to hear that because if you pump the brakes for a second, that's really what it's about. Right. You know what it's about, and you—you you were already in tremendous shape, but you're like, I'm giving up competition because of this little girl that just owns my heart, and that's it. That's it. That was a. That was a. I don't know if it was a point you were trying to make, but it was awesome to hear you say that.
1: I just stumble into points. I don't know if I ever <laughs> actually have a point to make. Uh, you know, I do want to say one other thing before I forget. With my ADD, uh, out there in our, you know, social media media. Uh, we always are looking at these, you know, sort of fitness quote unquote experts that have these perfect bodies and they're showing off their bodies and not really their knowledge, right? It's more looking at the six pack or more looking at the nice booty and saying, oh wow, like that's, I wanna be like that person. I wanna look like that person, right? And really to me, that's where a lot of people also are getting set up for failure because that's not where most people actually wanna be. And to to look like that is a whole different life. And that's what I think Naomi was alluding to before, is that's not the life that most people in Max 40 are really even looking for. And I will say that most of the advice that these quote-unquote fitness experts are giving is, well, it's bro science or it's just based off of good genetics. It's not based off of science. It's not based off of what will actually work for you. And I feel like a lot of people are going down the wrong path when they're following that kind of quote-unquote advice. So, you know, being careful about who you're following and why you're following them. At least know... Uh, a little bit more about them because it's people like John and people like Naomi who have the not only the experience, they also have the knowledge behind it. And yes, the cherry on top is that they look the part, which is important, I think. But I almost uh, tell people, be a little bit wary of people who look a little bit too much the to part because maybe they're spending too much time in the gym and not enough time reading books right
0: <laughs> uh, you social media is a, a one of those deals to where even in, in what we do you look at it and it's almost like you besides the instant gratification part of it it's almost like the envy and the jealousy that comes out of that platform on a daily basis and a lot I had a buddy in the music industry that said I got off of Instagram because, you know, I saw all these people that were, that were elevating and, you know, five years ago, we didn't really know what everybody was doing, but now you can turn on your phone and, and, and see right away, like, oh, you know, she, she achieved this and he achieved this and she's in this good of shape. And you start questioning yourself a lot and what, finding out what your why is and, and going through Matt's notes on what topics we wanted to touch today is really the, should be the easiest part of this equation is what is your why? But it almost is like I don't even know if I could say what mine is right now. Do I? Do I want to? I want to be alive for a long time because I can't. I can't imagine Alyssa growing up without a dad. But I also have vanity, and I'm vain when I see myself on TV, and I'm like, "You fat bastard, get in shape." <laughs> they, they say the camera adds 10. I'm like, "No, more than that. I hope." That. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be funny, but it is funny in a way because the vanity part of life and what Matt's alluding to, um, that's my that's my point here is vanity is present everywhere we are i don't care who you are to say i don't care what i look like i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm i'm, I'm fine with who i am i, I don't think you want to be obese i don't think you want to be ugly i don't think you want to feel ugly and i'm not saying that anybody is or anybody isn't but vanity is a huge thing in society and if you find your why of why you want to do it and it's for you right internally I think it's probably harder to do that when it should be the easiest thing because you're always comparing yourself to everybody else out there. And you're always saying, why can't I get that? Why, instead of saying, this is why I'm doing this and I'm set, I, it, it almost sounds like it should be the easiest part, but it's difficult because of all of the parameters of, comparing ourselves to somebody else.
2: Having never worked out in your gym, Matt, um, I don't know if you're not allowed to have more than one why, but (laughs) I would imagine that most regular people have lots of whys. You know, I mean, whether it's, you know, I want to grow old, I want to see my kids grow, I want to be around for grandkids, I want to be able to... You know, go to Disneyland and walk 17 miles and not have knee pain at the end of the day. You know, Um, I want to be able to ski. I personally want to chase my kid down the chutes. You know, like absolutely all of those whys exist. And again, sort of coming back to what John was saying earlier, you know, it's a personal uh, venture, really. And it's sort of figuring out all those whys and then moving forward in them. Personally, you know, as a previous athlete, I would like to make it into my sixties without having a lot of pain. That would be nice. Um, and I think for me personally, that's where, you know, I, I thanks for the compliment, Matt, i <laughs> in shape. Um, but you know, certainly I think, you know, my workouts at this point, in my life are a lot less rigorous than they were in my twenties. But, That's okay. It seems to be maintaining mobility and function, and you know, let me do what I want to be doing. And how
0: much do you care about aesthetics when you and vanity, like you being a doctor, and you and you're in great shape and you look great? Does mentally do you think about that when you get dressed in the morning and that first patient comes to the door you want like hey man my doctor's in shape she looks great you does that go through your head
2: It, it does go through my head i think you know having the ability to and talk to you know our population is getting bigger right we have an aging obese population unfortunately and i think being able to say to my patients like, hey, I need a lean, mean you, like that's going to help your joints. And then, you know, if I were 200 pounds overweight, it's a little bit harder to have that conversation for sure. So I think, you know, maintaining fitness, sort of practicing what I preach, absolutely makes a difference.
0: Can you, can, as a doctor, can you answer this question? And if you can't just say that it's impossible to answer. <laughs> can genetics be beat? If my dad was overweight, if my dad died of a heart attack at 54, if his dad died of a heart attack at 49, can those genetics be beat to where I'm not going to die in that same age room? And not, the reason I ask that is because it's a, it's, a, it's a serious fright of mine. Like My grandpa died at 49 of a heart attack on my dad's 24th birthday. My dad died of a heart attack at 54 years old. Um, his brother, Mel, has, he's 60 now. He's outlived them all. So can genetics be beat and with today's modern medicine, with this lifestyle change or accepting the fact that, hey, I do wanna, I do wanna live longer, I feel it can. I feel like I'm on a good road, that I got the right mindset, but then I start thinking, man, do I only got six years left? Am I am I smoked at fifty? Can genetics be beat?
2: I, I don't think anybody's going to tell you that your genetic, you know, ancestry is a blueprint for your personal future. I think that it's, you know, certainly there are, you know, traits that are carried. There are trends among families. There's, you know, genealogic studies showing all sorts of, you know, associations and risk stratification but i don't think i can look at you in the eye and say well because your dad died at 49 you said um 54, sorry yeah. His 54 dad you know that that you are going to i don't i don't think i can make that prediction i think absolutely you know the environment you know what you put in your body what you do to your body absolutely plays into that
0: plays into that so so the so answer not, is yes, yes. genetics so, can be beat absolutely you agree Joan?
3: Yeah, it's outside my scope, but I would like to. So, agree. do you have kids? I do. Are they built like? Are they
0: going to be built like you?
3: Yeah, big head, big butt. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yep. So, are they? Are they? But are they athletic? Are they going to be stocky? Are they going to be power lifter looking guys? Or are they going to be more of the Pandola scope of uh, you know more? Uh, you guys seen the picture of Matt and his gym? I mean, he was what one hundred I mean, you probably were eighty nine pounds your senior year in high school, maybe.
1: I was one hundred and twenty eight pounds. And, uh, when I was training, I was running for the army. I was at 148 pounds and six foot two. So yeah, lean for sure. But, I' uh, couldn't, couldn't put a pound of muscle on me no matter how many calories I took in back then. Right. So yeah, that was uh, where I started from, but, uh, that's where I kind of say, I don't, have the same kind of goals as John and my body is built a little bit differently. So I feel better when I run, I feel like I was born to run, if you will. And I feel like John was born to lift heavy shit, you know? And so I think it is important to remember that you can't fight your genetics uh, all the way. You have a certain predisposition for certain things, I think it's fair to say, but my entire family is overweight. I mean, I hope they're not listening, but it's just true. Um, (laughs) Heart attacks, um, strokes. I mean, I have a similar history with my, um, the men's side of my family with high blood pressure, strokes, heart attacks. You know, most of those guys have not lived past 60 and the ones that did weren't incredibly healthy to begin with. And so, you know, I'm sort of I have the same fears as you when it comes to that. And, you know, I definitely think, well, I'm just going to make better choices and you can only control you and what you're doing now. You have to live in the now, and you you can only worry about what's happening right now and the choices you make now. I don't think you can spend your life worrying about whether or not you're going to have the same sort of genetic defaults, if you will, that that your father had or somebody else had, right? But you can do the best that you can do to be able to you know counteract that. Is that fair to say, guys? Yeah, I
0: think so. And I if, uh, go ahead, Joe.
3: No, I, I just think I Matt hit like the the right word is. I think you have a predisposition to certain things based off your genetics. And I think people confuse risk versus realization right so you might have an elevated risk for something but that doesn't mean that's going to be realized and when we're aware and when we talk about whether we're talking about injury risk reduction or or whatever else we're talking about the fact that you have a risk for something is part of the equation like if I can tell an athlete hey you have you know based on some of Gavitt's work I can say hey you know looking at some of these you know some good team-based evidence you know you have about a 30% risk of re-injury for whatever we're dealing with and they tell me it's championship game I'm, I'm willing to accept that 30 percent risk so it does not mean that you are going to get hurt it means that you have a 30 percent risk of getting hurt based off of our evidence and so genetics have a predisposition to maybe you know some some cardiovascular history or or you know i have a guy right now who was a he was a db at the university back in the 90s and i was demonstrating uh you know an ankle mobility test and and i have amazing ankle mobility, right? Something I'm very proud of. Uh, I can demonstrate this just beautifully. It means absolutely nothing. But when he does it, he's like, oh man, I wish I, I, wish I could do that. I'm like, well, I bet you're fast. He's like, I am fast. I'm like, that's the trade-off. Your genetics gave you tight heel cords, but that makes you really fast. I have lovely flexibility for a power lifter, but I am not a fast human right so so there's predispositions there's things there's risks associated with that predisposition but it does not mean that that's a realization
0: and when you talk about predispositions one of the things that drives me nuts what matt does to me pretty much daily is he considers me like a big guy like when he's giving an example in the gym he's like well if you were big like chad and i'm like i'm not a big big like i see dudes way bigger than me fatter out of shape all the time and i'm like why do you keep freaking referring to me as a big guy and where i'm going with that is the 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 body types max 40 people have to realize right i'm a different body endomorph ectomorph all of this science that goes into you know knowing what your why is and knowing how to get results chad
1: chad you're you're our baby gorilla (laughs) see this is what he does you're not (laughs) you're not any you're not an endomorph you're you're a baby gorilla and but listen listen that's that's a good thing that that's something that you're really good at being baby gorillas are strong Okay, let's talk about the highlights here, right? They're maybe not the best looking animals on the planet, but.
0: (laughs) So, no, and I, I love humor, but I get, when he says that, I'm like, I wonder if people really look at me aesthetically as being the big guy when I tell myself, when I walk into a place. I don't feel that right but then other people like my trainer Matt and my good friend Matt and one of my really like life coaches Matt refers to me as this big guy I look at Joey and I'm like Joey's 200 pounds 197 pounds I outweigh him by 17 18 pounds and I can do a lot of the things he can not as good and for not as long but how big of a how big of a um, factor is that in getting in shape is understanding what your body type is important because still to this day i really don't know what i can achieve with my body can i get to eight percent if i really really cut down on my nutrition and did a ton of cardio i don't even know what it would take to get there matt's good and tell me you don't need to get there you look good the way you are when you take your shirt off you can see your abs you can see a little bit and, and i'm not exaggerating matt can back me up i i don't like have a big flabbery gut that rolls over like a muffin top and if I did I would take care of that but can I get to look like that I don't know like am I already pre is it predetermined that I this is the best I can look or with this body type John can I get better results
3: so I mean I think there's there's a couple different things there but I think one is of course that setting expectations conversation right it you know and and I think unrealistic expectations would be like I want to be two inches taller you're know, like, well, buddy, I don't think it's going to happen. But if it's I want to get leaner, you know, the conversation we always have is we're always just trying to improve. When I'm coaching athletes with the movement, they're like, oh, you know, that, that wasn't very good or whatever. I'm like, But it was better than it was last time. You know what I mean? And so we re, we recenter that conversation of towards improvement and not like we ever reach this certain particular goal, because that reaching a certain goal, it creates it robs us of the joy of the process. And it creates a, a, a this idea of that we have this finite Path where it's supposed to be this path through life, you know? And so it's more of a conversation of, are you improving? You know what I mean? And, and if you're saying, well, I'm a big guy and I have all this, Sure. Maybe, you know, maybe you're better, you know, some of the strength-based sports for me, you know, running just, does that mean it's a genetic thing? Probably not. It's just, it's a, it's a confirmation bias to what I like to do. You know what I mean? I'm naturally good at these things. So I'm going to naturally want to do those, which then predicts the way that my body type is going to look. So I think there's some genetic contribution to that. And I think there's, yeah, are you ever going to be this long sinewy, like, you know, 6% body fat guy? Maybe not, but am I going to tell you that? I don't know. You might show up one day and be like, you were wrong. I love being wrong. I love it, especially in those cases when people, you know, they, they come back and like, you told me it was this, I got better doing this. I have no ego associated with what I do. I, I have no problem being wrong if that made you get better. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, Naomi can, can answer this too, but I think it's always a conversation of improving and not comparison, you know, comparing, right?
2: I totally agree. I was just thinking, you know, it's funny. I just read an article about type 1, type 2 fibers and, you know, that there is a significant genetic predisposition there. And, you know, these are muscle types, right? These are your long lean or your fast-twitch muscles. And it, it is interesting. I mean, I think your, you know, question about, you know, can you look different? I think, you know, Matt probably has more information and has tried to train various different athletes to become different types of athletes. And, boy, is that challenging when they're choosing sports that are maybe not uh, in line with what their body is capable of, if that makes any sense. So, you know, I mean, there's been tons of good research really looking at, you know, can you take a marathoner and turn them into a sprinter or vice versa? And I'm going to let Matt answer that one.
1: Yeah, no, I, uh, thanks. Uh, I do think that there's a certain amount of change that you can get with an athlete, but I feel like the the body sort of picks the sport. in other words, when an athlete is sort of predisposed to being a better jumper, they tend to go to basketball or you know jumping events, high jump events, things like that. When you have an athlete that tends to do what Pretty well on a field day in elementary school at the longer stuff they join cross country right so we tend to look at a lot of times with our athletes with culture now being a, a pretty big factor so in other words volleyball for example has a strong culture to it and it's a social culture and a lot of girls join even though you know they can't jump right but they really enjoy the culture so sometimes I do get athletes that come in and we do our best to improve their vertical. We do our best to get quick through the middle. We, we do our, and we do see improvements on those things. But I'm telling you, if an athlete comes in and they wanna be a 100 meter runner and they can't break 14 seconds in the 100 meters, they ain't gonna be breaking 10 seconds ever, right? So there's, there is a certain, I think, limiting factor there. And getting back to you, bud, You're talking about you and Joey, and you guys have heard Joey on the podcast before, world-class boxer, I think what, ranked third in the world at one point. He's really, really, really good at three minutes, right? You're really good at 30 seconds or less. And I think that anything 30 seconds or less or probably even 10 seconds or less for you, and you're probably kicking his butt, but you're definitely competing with him up to 30 seconds. Three minutes, he's got you. Right, and he's got me too. Right, we get to 30 minutes. That's my world. Right, so ultimately, I'm not going to try to be that, uh, you know, six-second athlete. Right, and you're not going to try to be the marathoner. Right. Ultimately, I think you accept uh, sort of, you know, who you are and what you're built for a little bit more, and you'd be happier in your process because you're probably going to choose goals that are right for you. Um, As much as I love marathoning, like Naomi was talking about before. Sometimes I have people come into me with these, you know, I'm going to do this Ironman or I'm going to do this marathon. It's like, why? Well, just because that's like some sort of feather I can put in my cap. And it's like, okay, but... You know your body is not really built as much for that and you're gonna take a lot of abuse trying to do that. Do I believe everybody should run? Yes, but maybe somebody does sprints and they're more of the cheetah, right? And somebody is more of the endurance guy and they're more of the antelope and just know you, but you should still be trying to do those things just for what works a little bit better for you. Lastly, I would say when it comes to the body fat thing, man, you do have abs and you do look good and I give you a hard time, but the truth is, is i think that you're very healthy you're very strong and if you want to go after a little bit more vanity and say get those abs a little bit more defined of course you can do that but again it comes down to your why is it worth it to you to sort of diet down and do those things and restrict your calories and be hungry a little bit more often um, so that you can see a little bit more definition in, in those abs, or are you going to be happy with who you are because you are healthy and you are strong and you are going to live longer the way you are right now.
0: But, well, thank you. That's oh, that <laughs> kind of caught me <laughs> off guard, but Matt. And, and, and you guys talk on this too, intermittent, intermittent fasting, is it unhealthy or is it, I've been doing it and. I don't like the way I feel a lot of the times mentally. Like it seems like it, it, it cuts me off a little bit in the morning mentally, but physically I feel fine. I feel like I don't have to eat. And when, when you said what you said today about the proteins and, and, and what you're, two weeks ago when you were talking about how many grams of protein should you take in compared to your lean body mass and, and how much you weigh, you guys know way more about that than I do. I don't know if I could eat the right amount of protein if I fast until noon. So, am I really defeating myself? And what I want to achieve as a forty max athlete, if I am doing intermittent fasting, because I hear about it quite a bit. Like breakfast was typically known as, if you skip breakfast, you really, you know, defeating you're getting your metabolism started. It's the most important meal of the day. I don't believe that, but it's what kids we've heard our whole lives. Can you be successful intermittently fasting? as a 40 plus athlete and still get your proteins in and, and still see results.
1: All right, so I'm the dummy in the group. I'm gonna say my part first and you guys can hear the real answers. But my <laughs> my experience is this. with I train a lot of kids, I coach a lot of kids. I absolutely tell them to eat breakfast. I, I think they should be eating early and often. That is my feelings and my daughter. That's what I would tell her to do. I think that as they grow and they get older, uh, things start to change. And when those things change, maybe intermittent fasting um, is an option. Now, for me, I I do use intermittent fasting and I do use that in my program and it works well for me. But again, so many people get stuck on, quote unquote, diets. It's not a diet to me. And when I do it, I do it with a purpose. So there are days where I eat in the morning. I ate this morning. Uh, breakfast with my wife and so I don't get stuck on any one thing any one program but I will say on your question about how can I get in enough protein there's a couple things that I'm sure that Naomi's gonna correct me on but I will say that in general I can take about 35 to 40 grams of protein at once I do believe in a gram per pound but I also on my intermittent fasting days I look more at getting in about 30% protein of my total calorie intake, about 30% for me with a lot of my athletes. When I ask them to track their macronutrients for a few days, they're at like 12%. So I look at trying to up the percentage first, not so much, uh, a gram per pound necessarily, but the percentage overall that they're getting in enough protein. Now that's my feelings. Now you guys can correct me.
3: Well, I'm just going to say that there's this, uh, there's this phrase, it's, it's a concept called intellectual promiscuity, right? Where you're an expert on one thing and then you start applying, you think you're an expert on everything. So that being said, I, I'm going to defer.
2: <laughs> that was really slick. Wow. wow. So, you know, every, uh, honestly, I'm not an expert in intermittent fasting. I, th- I have read a few articles about it. I think it has unfortunately been used as a diet strategy. And it has not been shown to be any more effective than any other hmm. diet out there. Um, I have a number of athletes who do use intermittent fasting for anywhere up to about eight hours, um, and they find that for them they seem to feel more energetic. I mean, who knows whether there's actually science behind that? I don't honestly know the research well enough to be able to comment on that. Um, as it relates to the protein intake, Matt's you know idea of um, you know 35 to 45 grams. Um, three to five times a day is absolutely better than loading one meal really heavy in your gram you know your gram intake and then hardly getting in any other protein during the day. So I do see like some of my older patients in particular who you know they eat like one big meal, whether it's breakfast, lunch or dinner, and then they're just not getting a lot of protein in throughout the rest of the day and for those people often we're recommending whether it's making you know a smoothie with you know, protein thrown in of whatever the variety is that you like, that you tolerate, um, you know, throughout other parts of the day to try to bring the, um, uh, grams, you know, throughout the day higher, meaning again, just not loading one time in the day, but actually kind of evening it out a little bit.
0: On the other end of the spectrum, Matt, is it good to go to bed hungry? And the reason I asked this is that I was having a conversation with Joey about his his recent um, leaning out and it was no starches after 7pm. And no sugars after 7pm. And maybe a protein shake. I, when I try to lay down and go to bed and I'm just a tad bit hungry, it's the worst night's sleep I have. It's the worst mental anguish that I put myself through during that day. And I know that sounds exaggerated, but I'm like, should I get up and get a snack? Are they going to be able to tell tomorrow that I'm bloated a little bit? You know, these are the things that go through my head is like, aesthetically, I want to look good in the morning. And that's when I feel my best. When I get up in the morning and I have my shirt off, when I first cross that first out of 4,000 mirrors in my house, that's a joke. But that's when I feel good. Like I'm lean. It feels like I'm really leaned out. And that's when I would want a photo shoot to take place. Can you eat carbs after 7 p.m. and still maintain a healthy, you know, healthy physique? Or should you discipline yourself as a 40-year-old? No. Go to bed hungry and discipline yourself not to get out of the sheets until you wake up in the morning and get your first calorie.
1: Yeah, so first off, you know, I love Joey, but he does yo-yo a little bit sometimes. I would not... Uh take advice from Joey on that one. No offense, (laughs) Joey. Um, listen, I eat the majority of my carbs at night. Actually. Um, I feel like I sleep better and On the intermittent fasting thing, by the way, I just actually feel like I think a little bit more clearly. Maybe that's a little bit of just my own experience. I don't know, but I like to do that so that the majority of the work that I do in my programming, I start usually at about 4.30 in the morning. And I I just like the way I feel when, uh, when I do that sort of process with intermittent fasting. But the point is that I think anything that works To restrict your calories, if that's your goal, anything that works, still that's the result. If I have the majority of my calories at night, but my total calories aren't exceeding my energy out, my energy in versus my energy out balance out, then I'm not going to gain any extra weight or fat by having carbs or sugars later on at night. I think that's complete uh, misinformation. At least that's how I see
0: it. Well, the, the, I'm not arguing but the arguer in me wants to say well if I'm going to eat sushi that's high in sugar with the right rice and I'm going to have I'm going to have a bunch of raw fish which is relatively healthy but let's say that uh, I've taken 1000 calories at a sushi lunch I'm saying well I can afford to do that if I worked out that morning mentally, I tell myself at night, I'm not going to touch that because now I'm going to be dormant for the next hopefully eight hours of good REM sleep, which I rarely get, which I want to get to next. That seems to me like my biggest deterrent in a healthy lifestyle is my sleep. My sleep practices are terrible. My my ability to turn off my type A personality is terrible. So I go to bed and my wheels turn and the next thing you know, I'm on my phone and I'm taking notes and then I put my phone down and I'm like, no, go away. And then I find another reason to pick it up and take more notes. I'm not saying that's every night, but I find that, that that's the topic that we're gonna touch on next. Maybe that's not important to the max 40. I wanna stay on topic with max 40 and you guys tell me where we need to hit next. But me, I'm telling myself nutrition wise, if I eat that right now, I'm not gonna have any chance to burn it off. He's saying that as long as that my energy out through that day, my metabolism's gonna take over and it's it's not gonna hurt me. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm still gonna feel lean and ready to do that photo shoot.
1: Can I give a quick example on this? But I do feel like people misunderstand Fitbits, for example, are a huge failure, right? People put their Fitbits on and they're like, okay, I, I had an extra thousand steps today. I'm going to have that wine. I earned it. right? It, it doesn't correlate that way. If you do 15 burpees, 15 burpees are pretty hard, right? It takes okay. you about a minute to do it, right? Yeah. And I say, okay, minute on, 30 seconds recovery, give me five sets, Right. you're you're burning about a calorie per burpee. I mean, it's not, it doesn't correlate that you can now go out and have those hash browns and you just burned it off, right? It doesn't work that way and I think people misunderstand. Most people think
0: that way. Most people (laughs) do think I do. You know, I mean,
2: and personally, like when I talk to patients about weight loss, you know, and and they really are, you know, committing to some sort of program. I mean, I usually tell them, listen, this is a numbers game. You know, you got to figure out what you're burning, you got to figure out what you're taking in, and then we got to figure out how we're going to drop 3,500 calories, because that's one pound. And so, you know, whether that's, you know, I don't know how many burpees that is, um, or
0: 3,500, it sounds like. 3,500 burpees.
2: You know, know, or if that's, you know, hey, I'm going to drop out a slice of bread for 100 calories a day, and I'm going to do that for 35 days. Hey, listen. It's your goal. It's not my goal. It's where do you want to get go? And like John alluded to earlier, like, do you want to see that twenty six pound weight loss at the end of the year, or do you want a fifteen pound weight loss in a week and a half? You know, and and I would argue too, just as it relates to the carbohydrate, protein, you know, macronutrient, micronutrient, all of it that you know we fluctuate we we don't use the exact same things from day to day depending on our activity level and depending on where we are in the world frankly and so you know our body is very efficient at using what we need to use and burning what we need to burn
0: you, with the, the way that you stay in shape and you are in good shape. And I'm not just saying that for people to hear this and go, I wonder what she looks like. I'm just saying like you, you're in your thirties or forties, oh, you stay in shape.
2: 48. Thanks.
0: If, I didn't know that. <laughs> it doesn't look, it, yeah. no, it looks great. Yeah. Do you eat, do you eat pasta? Do you <laughs> do eat you pasta? Eat,
2: I do eat pasta Do you
0: really eat pasta? I have a
2: ten year old and a seven year old you eat that's on the menu at least twice a week <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you ever eat a, do you
0: eat a sandwich with wheat bread or sourdough ever
2: i eat uh, I eat sandwiches I like bread absolutely do you, do you try
0: to cut out as much bread as you possibly can Is bread the enemy
2: i don't think there's any enemy in the in food. I think you have to you have you, to like food. I will say you know if my mom's listening to this, she will argue that I've never been much of a foodie i don't really enjoy i don't enjoy eating all that much. I'm not one of these people who needs to go to the you know fancy restaurant and try out some special dish. I'm sort of like mad, I think in that I'm much better at assembling food than cooking food, and so you know throwing together a big gigantic salad with all sorts of cool stuff in it, like whatever yams and beets and chicken and you know whatever else is tends to you know sit better with me. But yeah, I mean do I don't avoid any food groups. I eat all sorts of stuff. Right,
1: but you you have to look at quality calories, right? Absolutely. So that's the thing I, I think that people listening right now and they think, okay, so she eats any food Well, yes, but she's also pretty healthy minded. She eats a lot of fresh food. She doesn't eat processed food very often, maybe once in a while, you know, that as a treat. But most of the time, I think people are actually taking a lot of processed, refined fuels, and not even realizing it. Right. So, you you know, that's the other end of the conversation is what is the quality of calories like that you're taking in? I don't believe in, by the way, going hungry. I don't if if that's not going to work long term. So, again, you know, Naomi said. If you want to burn those 3500 calories right away, or do you want it over you know a period of time, I really urge people to think more about that micro dosing strategy because you can't go to bed hungry every night that's not going to last and then when you fall off you tend to fall off hard so don't use those kind of strategies in my opinion at least they're going to set you up for failure. use something that you can keep using John you tell me
3: aggressively, leaning into the mic. Um, I think this just kind of brings up a point, like tying this back into the max forty is, and and the social media conversation is. I think people get inundated with the unimportant details and they miss the bigger picture, right? The bigger picture is: can you establish a caloric balance? Can you get an appropriate amount of protein? Um, You know, those are the bigger conversations when we're drawing a pyramid about whether it's about nutrition and we're drawing a pyramid about reducing injury risk and and a pyramid about how to build your, your fitness in those things. A lot of people focus on the top of the pyramid right they th- they're asking me about what kind of shoes they need and they're asking me if they if they need x y and z you know tool and physical therapy i mean the theragun i mean oh god i, I mean it, like it sounds like <laughs> someone's stripping paint from their house you know i mean it's a jigsaw with a tennis ball on it and everyone six 600 bucks and everyone's like well i think i need a theragun because my my knee hurts no you're missing the big part of the pyramid, right? The big part of the pyramid is how much are you doing? How much have you been doing? Right? Are you exceeding your load capacity with nutrition? It's, are you underestimating your protein and overestimating your fat? Like before you get into the nuances of should I be doing more of this ketogenic deal or this intermittent fasting? I'm like, we have way bigger parts of the pyramid that we need to address. And with social media, we get hammered with a ton of information and very, very little knowledge, right? We associate value on social media with with a high. Efficiency and a skill, right? So if you're a a world-class deadlifter, all of a sudden now everyone's listening to what you have to say. We don't know if Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant are any good at coaching basketball, right? right? Like just because they are one of the freak athletes of their sport doesn't mean that they have any good information to coach, you know, the intermediates and the novices and those, and those are the people that I'm interested in. I have very little interest in people that are coaching elite athletes. No offense, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I have interest in people that turn novices into, into, into intermediates, and I have, I have a lot of interest in people that turn, you know, intermediates into experts right but i really are elite athletes i don't have a lot of interest in the top so it's the bottom of the pyramid i think holds the most value so when we talk about max 40 those are the, the themes that we have to get across right are you just even getting these basics in before we start worrying about how much of your sodium and are you getting you know are you getting grains or are you eating quinoa and do we have to worry about legumes versus you know simple carbs like those are more the salt and pepper parts
1: Yeah, it's awesome. Like the base of the pyramid. I mean, I have to admit John's actually right about something right now. (laughs) The base of the pyramid, you talk about people who don't drink enough water. Right? So, John, that's, I mean, you know, to me, that's at the base of the pyramid, right? And you're, you're talking about the cherry on top or that peak of the pyramid that people are always going after that, whether it be their strength training, their nutrition, or just, again, their lifestyles. And they're looking at that top, but they haven't addressed the bottom. And, John, that was such a such a great point because we do. We see that all the time, regardless of the level of athlete they are or if they're just your max 40 person that's trying to get to feel better, to chase their kid around the park. They have to look at, am I getting better sleep? Am I getting enough sleep, right? That's the base of my pyramid, am I doing that? right? More so than worrying about that, uh, that peak performance, that very top end, or again, I feel like at the very top in nutrition, you would have supplements, right? And yes, supplements can really help, especially if you're, uh, taking Dr. Nye's supplements, which, uh, I'm, I'm sure she'll talk <laughs> Thanks, about. Matt. Yes, you're, you're very welcome. Um, but, and, and it does, it, I definitely have my athletes using certain supplements, but I tell them first, we have to be we have to take care of ourselves from the base up and we have to have a nutrition before we're really worried as much about those other things. And so when you're looking at people who wanna take that magic diet pill, right? That fat burner, all those things. It's so crazy because they haven't even addressed their base, right? They haven't addressed how many calories they're actually taking in, what kind of quality those calories are, but they're gonna take that fat burner which can give them high blood pressure and a heart attack, right? So Naomi, that's a perfect crossover over to to what you,
2: I was just going to say, I think it's funny, you know, the nutrition, the nutrition sort of, you know, slash hydration discussion. Um, you know, my medical assistant, if she listens to this, will get a good giggle, but there are many days where my water bottle sits, you know, right in front of me and does not get touched until about three o'clock in the afternoon. And then it gets filled like twice. And she's like, how's it, go- how's it going over there? You know, did you forget to drink for the first eight hours of today? And I'm like, yep, sure. Do. You know, drank a cup of coffee, didn't get any actual hydration. And so it is, I mean, I think you're exactly right that it is it is those basics. And, you know, I as we've been talking here, Matt, I've been thinking about a mutual patient of ours who, you know, came to see me initially because he was having some trouble with his knees. He had been a previous, you know, um, ultra, uh, I guess, frisbee-like athlete and um, and, you know, in college and had not even thought about being an athlete, not even thought about being active. But then with his... Uh, newborn was having some trouble going up and down the stairs, and I said, "You know, we can only go so far with PT for this. you know, we can certainly try some physical therapy, but I think he really need to get back to being an athlete and pass him off to Matt, and of course, you know he's he's done quite well, which is great. I think from you know, Matt alluded to the supplements, I do have a company um, called Dr. Nye's OC two. Um, if you're interested in the information, please check out our website. It's, whoop, passing it over. Um, It is a a powder that uh, essentially is based on the research out there for both bone and muscle support, but it has in it what is recommended by the medical uh, associations for calcium, vitamin D, magnesium, and then the addition of the five grams of creatine monohydrate, which has been shown in many, many research articles to actually stop muscle loss after the age of 35 and continue to see some strength gain, so...
0: Doesn't, doesn't creatine make you retain water more?
2: So creatine has been studied in lots of different forms. Creatine monohydrate is what's studied most. Um, what's in our supplement is creatine monohydrate. And what's been shown is that when you take 10 grams or more that you can absolutely have stomach upset, bloating, water retention, weight gain, Um, in our product, it's five grams, which has been what's studied to prevent muscle wasting.
0: When you pick up a supplement bottle and it says, please consult a physician first, what's the percentage of Americans that actually do that, you think? Because <laughs> would they write it on there if they didn't mean it? And I don't know if anybody goes into GNC or any of the other, it's, it's a phenomenon to me because we have an obesity problem, but we have a multi, 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 multi-billion dollar supplemental market and workout, and workout videos and Tybo this and this. And it's almost like the wool is being pulled over a lot of people's eyes. And I know that you're shaking your head because I hope you agree with that. Because when I pick up supplements, I go to Matt and I'm like, what do you think? Like, is this a waste of my time? Because it says fat burner energy and focus on it and i take it and it works for me like i'll get a result out of certain ones and then i and then i would take and then when i get on creatine people say well you're gonna you're already a bigger guy you're gonna retain too much water so right there you just prove what a physician can tell you if you really do consult a physician on this or my point is is don't just go in there and buy all this stuff because it's it's you're, you're told by a commercial that it's going to work it's not going to work for everybody And if I'm wrong on that, tell me, but you're a weightlifter. You don't, do you have to take creatine to get the results that you get? Or would you go to Naomi and say, hey, is this going to help me add a couple extra hundred pounds or thousand pounds to my deadlift by next year?
3: Well, if it's going to add a thousand pounds, I don't think it's legal <laughs> But uh, it's out there nor is it highly recommended by Dr. Hoson here. but um, no, but again, I think that what you've, you've nailed the conversation that we're talking about there's a multibillion dollar supplement industry, and there's an obesity epidemic, and it's because people are focusing on the quick fix top of the pyramid yep. right I mean, would there be a multibillionaire you know multibillion dollar industry if we were just teaching people how to just take care of themselves. I mean, You would think that that would be this, the, the road, but nobody wants to take the difficult road, right? So when people come to me in my business, they always want the quick fix. And I tell them it's like life. If it comes quickly and easily, it's not meant to last. You know what I mean? It's gonna take that slow, you know, pr- that slow road of accomplishing small goals over time that's gonna build actual sustainability and success. And so anytime somebody comes to me and it looks too easy and it looks, it's guaranteeing too much, That's the easy road. And for me, my biases, my skepticism, that's not the one that's going to work. You You should be a
0: marriage counselor. Yeah, my wife is going
3: to (laughs) disagree.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's so, it's it's like, I want to, I want to be able to, like, is, um, what's the, what's the stuff you take for your stomach? Biotics. What's the word? that? Probiotics. probiotics. I I don't know if there's got to be at least, at least a thousand manufacturers of probiotics. And I, and I and I and the reason I'm asking this is because I travel a lot. So people are like, you need to make sure that you have a probiotic. And I'm like, okay, well, I've been to Peru, I've been to, I've been all over South America, I've been all over Canada, I've been all over Europe. I've, I've been all. Over, I go, I've never needed it. I've never really had an issue with the food, the diet. You go to Peru around Lima, it's absolutely the worst food that I've ever tasted in my life. I don't recommend it, and I mean that. I, a lot of people might like it, but I never had a problem like where it tore me up at all. So. Do supplements work? Are, is there a quick is there an answer that somebody can look at me and say yes? Supplementation works, and if you're in your 40s, if you are a max 40 worker, outer max 40 athlete, max 40 dad, mom, whatever it is, should you look into a supplemental program to what well, just what I just said? Supplement your 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 fitness goals and to supplement your nutrition goals.
2: So, as the owner of a supplement company, I would say look at your diet. Honestly. I mean, I think supplements are there for exactly what their name is, supplementation. They are not meant to replace food. They are not meant to replace, you know, thinking about macro and micronutrients and everything we've been talking about. I think in certain situations, like our product is engineered for minimizing muscle and bone loss with age, right? It is based on research that's you know in the um, medical world but it is not something that i would say oh gosh the whole population needs to take this i think it's something that if you're not getting enough protein in your diet if you're not doing the exercise if you're not maximizing your um you know lean body mass then yeah you might think about it so that you don't atrophy to a point where you know it's going to be hard to rebound from
3: and to bring that back to like the max 40 stuff, I mean, and, and to kind of touch on your point about probiotics is, is our culture is, is built around telling you, you have a problem and then offering you a solution, right? So you didn't even know you had a probiotic problem and there's a thousand people here <laughs> selling you probiotics. And, and so, and that's with physical therapy. It's with, I mean, it's just kind of, I definitely see it in my industry, but I see it in our culture in general, right? We're being, if you go to Barnes and Noble and you stand in front of that, you know, the, some of those bookshelves, it's. 30 books telling you about how you're not good enough and here's how to fix it, right? It's identifying these problems you didn't know you had and then creating and then selling you the solution. Um, and that being said, Dr. Robertson's supplement is the only supplement I take. So it, it's the only thing I add into my program because I get most of my pro, my my macronutrient, you know, goals met through my diet. I have to take protein shakes because of my lifestyle because I don't have, I don't eat five meals. I work 10, 12 hour days. So it's it's really easy for me just to get a shake in here. I usually have a shake at night, you know what I mean? Like you, like I sleep better if I've had some food, you know what I mean, at night. So I usually will have a shake then and it kind of helps me more easily hit my you goals. You don't take
0: a multivitamin?
3: Multivitamins I mean, those, are- those
0: are, are a must, aren't they? Yeah,
3: yeah, it's expensive be yeah. <laughs> so uh, no, it's just it's just we have this culture created and we, you know, we kind of mentioned it earlier, but there's so much fear associated with things, right? Don't deadlift because it'll hurt your back. You know what you need to do. The reason why it hurts your back is because one, you probably weren't ready for it or you were doing too much, you know, compared to what you've been doing in the past. But the reason why deadlifts hurt your back is a low back exercise. You got low back problems. You need to work your low back. And that's what the deadlift does. So we've created this fear. I had a patient that had osteoporosis. She's like, my doctor told me not to lift anything over 15 pounds. I'm like, but that's how we fix this. You know what I mean? Like, like So we, we just have this, this fear associated with things and people don't want to do things because they heard one time 10 years ago from probably an unreliable source or something and that stuck with them. So we talk about it in my industry that our words matter more than any intervention I do. You know what I mean? The things I say to people is what they're going to take with them and they may take it with them for the rest of their life. So if somebody comes in to me and they're like, well, I had a disc herniation you know, 12 years ago, so I don't want to do anything to aggravate that disc. I mean, I already have like, you know, a lot of work I have to do up front just to kind of navigate that fear process. So with that Max 40 group, I mean, the goal we're trying to do is try to build resiliency and robustness in this population that's been told just to kind of accept that that you're getting older, like you're getting older, you shouldn't, you know, you're not going to be strong, you're not going to be able to kind of do the things you want to do, because you're getting older. And, and I don't think that's a fair assessment for what we have in store for our lives. I mean, I think that, you know, Matt, and Naomi and I both have worked with people that are 50, 60, 70 years old that are, are phenomenal shape. I mean, that just show you that like what life can look like if you actually invest in yourself. So part of my job, one of my main job you know, roles is to modulate fear with people. I mean, to try to show them that they are capable of doing a deadlift, they are capable of squatting and they can press and they can do all these movements that they've been told from years ago that they should never do, right? Squatting's bad for your knees, running's bad for your knees. Deadlifting is bad for your back. None of that stuff is true. In fact, you probably need to do those things to create adaptation in your body and to kind of stimulate these strong bones and ligaments and tendons. Our bodies are built to respond to stress. And that's the thing that I think most people forget about is when we look at the way that we kind of evolved over time, the way that the mechanisms in our bodies work. It's just stress. When we stress the system, we adapt and we become stronger. So if you stop stressing that system or you, you start, you know, backing off of things, your body's going to adapt to that as well. Right. So arthritis is not just an overuse injury, right? It's an underuse injury. Mm-hmm. People get arthritis from not doing things, right? They forget about those parts too. Mm-hmm. So that's one of our main jobs in this is to kind of show people that they can be robust and resilient and can be active and healthy and strong throughout their entire lives.
0: And how do then how do I know who to believe, John? If I'm a max forty person and I have all this information, like I, I had itchy skin the last three days after Alex Trevek made his his announcement. And this is a weird story, but my friend Rick Cerrone died at 46 of pancreatic cancer, had stage four. And he told me when we were down and do a batting practice thing in San Francisco, he goes, I was on an airplane and my left arm itched. So I started like, I'm like, I, my, my washer went out cause I needed a new pump. And I went to my mom's and I did laundry over there and I changed the soap. So could that be it? So I went online and I'm like the, the the symptoms of pancreatic cancer and number eight is itchy skin. And I'm like, oh damn it! Like, and my point is, is like, who do we trust? He has workout videos online. I entrust everything that I do physically to him and his wife and there in in Pendola Project and Fitness. But how do I go and like? You're so well spoken when you talk. All of you are. How do you know? that we can go to Pendola's website and trust those workouts. It's just me saying that it works for me. Tybo might work for somebody else. That symptoms, that you know, WebMD or whatever. It's so easy to, to, to go out and find all this information. It's right there in front of our, in our fingertips at all times. Who do we trust? Do I trust you to say that I, I shouldn't be on supplements. And I'm not saying that you say that. Do I, does somebody trust me when Chad Belling says, you guys need to check out Matt and Aaron Pandola's workouts. They are legit. I'm getting, I'm getting results. Or am I just another guy out there saying, oh, here's somebody else with some workout videos online. And I'm playing the devil's advocate in a way because I truly do believe in Matt's workout. Hearing you speak, I truly know that you know your shit. You guys, obviously, you have a freaking uh, degree in medical, in medicine. You are an MD. It's not a joke. But it's so easy for me to not go to the doctor and go on there and go, holy shit, I have pancreatic cancer. Or... I don't need to watch Matt's work out. I can get this one for $4 instead of paying ten, And I'm going to trust him because, and nobody understands or breaks down what he's gone through to get where he's got or where you all have gotten. I guess it's just weird on who do I believe? Not me personally, but the, uh, you know, I'm just average. I'm not saying that I'm not, I'm just saying everybody else out there that's not in this room right now, who do we believe?
3: It's actually a really easy, easy answer. The people you believe, two things. One, the people that aren't sure right? If somebody is overconfident and they think they have the answers, that's an immediate red flag for me. My entire motto is to be less wrong. You know what I mean? Like that? I mean, that's really the way I approach life. I don't think I'm right. I'm just trying to be less wrong. You know what I mean? And the other one is the people that are telling you it's going to be a a long, slow road and you're going to have to do the work. If anyone's telling you something different than those two things, then the red flag should come up. And that's my litmus test. I mean, if you're telling me that you're gonna, it's going to take me to do a lot of work, it's going to take a long time, it's going to be slow, but I will get there, now I'm listening. And if you tell me that you don't have all the answers and you're not sure, and that, but here's what you do know, and, and here's the things that you, you know that don't work, and, and you have some confidence, but you're also humble in that regard of, of knowing that you don't know everything. And you don't even know what you don't know, right? Those are the people that I listen to.
0: So if you do have symptoms or you are obese, or you are out of shape and you want to get in shape. What What if I don't have that person to go and ask? Like, what's the best way to get started right now? Like, do I go to a doctor every time I think something's wrong? Do I go to the website every time I want to get in shape? Like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where do we get our information when it's so easy to get information today, and everybody is a... What you just said. Not. I don't want to use the term know-it-all, but everybody's a professional. Everybody is an ambassador. Everybody's a pro. Sta- Sorry. Everybody's a pro staffer, and everybody's got this knowledge. And I'm like, dude, 15 years ago, nobody would ever hear what you thought if it wasn't for this worldwide web or phenomenon that we have right now. I can go on and learn something that she took years to study and become a doctor, and now all of a sudden, I can go on there and go, Oh, WebMD. I don't need to go to the doctor today. I don't need to use my insurance. I don't need to pay my copay today. I just don't know. Like right now, if I have itchy skin, should I go check myself in and say, I got somethings up because I don't feel right. I don't think that I'm not saying this. I'm just saying something like I don't feel the way that I should. I should not just go on the website. I need to go get it checked out. I don't need to go and do this fad diet. I need to go talk to somebody that has really put in the time to come to a complete understanding of what it takes. He's not a know-it-all. He's just trying to be less wrong. Or whatever the case is, I just want to know if I'm 40 years old, where do I get started? How do I know where to go? Who do I trust? Who do I go to? I don't even know what to do. I don't know what shoes to buy. And I don't know what gym to, to become a member at. And I don't know what the first exercise I'm going to do. I can't touch my toes. I pulled my hamstring twice when I tried to run a lap at the reed track. I don't know what to do. You know, that's where I'm at. That's where a lot of people are at that I talk to is they're like, why are you even doing that? What are you going to need it for? What are you doing it? When I'm like, man, I when I come out of match gym, I feel like I can become the best entrepreneur. My spirit as a human being is so much so much more solid to what I think I can accomplish mentally and my psyche is there. Like I don't think that anybody can t- you know talk me out of what I want to accomplish. That's why I do it. But a lot of people don't think on those lines because there's too much freaking information out there. It's too easy to get all these different views and that's where I'm confused. That's why I ask the supplement question. Like I feel like I want to be on supplements. And now I listen to you and I'm like, shit, man. He doesn't even take a <laughs> multivitamin. That's it's, it's, it's weird. You look the way you look. And I'm not saying that you're God's gift to women. You, maybe you are. <laughs> but you look good. <laughs> you look good. You're in shape. You're strong. And you don't take supplements. Except this. Except that. So that's so freaking confusing. You look the way you look and you don't take supplements. That's so freaking confusing because everybody says, you better get your ass to GNC and get one of everything. And it's so confusing. I mean that, it's like really hard not to go, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to GNC right now and get everything they can because I want to look like Matt or I want to look like John and Aoi. I don't know what to do.
1: Yeah, I think one thing is you have to look at whether or not the person trying to sell you something. First of all, if they're trying to give you good content, if they're going out of their way to give you good content, good knowledge, if they have experience behind that, right? So there's so many again with social media, people putting up videos that have good abs, but you know, did they intern for five years first under somebody? Um myself, when I first started off in the industry, I wanted to be around the best. I realized that I had a, a lot of knowledge that I needed to gain. And so it wasn't really um, in my scope yet to be able to train clients the way I do now. And I went to Mark Verstegen, right, Athletes Performance Institute. I went to Mike Boyle. I went to various um, professionals in the industry. I'd been doing it for a long, long time. And I spent a good 10 years really trying to get to the point where I felt like I deserved the um, sort of position to be able to help people doing what I'm doing now but I, I you have to earn that and I feel like so many people don't earn that and they just go right into giving out these uh you know putting out these videos or I have great abs so then this supplement company uh endorses me to say I use this supplement and that's you know that's how I have my abs and there's so much mis- misinformation that way you know but what what I really uh, go to is uh, first of all I take protein like John does I take uh Dr. Dr. Nye's uh, supplement, uh, my entire thigh is about the size of John's arm. So why don't I look like John, right? If John was trying to sell me something, right? The first thing I'd want to do is look at what is his experience? What is his education behind it? And the cherry on top is the arms, right? You get, you see what I'm getting at? and And I think all too often we're looking at John's arms, right? We're not looking as much about what the background is, what the experience is, and what the intent is. John's trying to create a very specific culture over at Nevada Physical Therapy. It's not get them in, get them out. It's not like cattle, right? Everybody is in there to be Taken care of and they're treated as individuals and that's why he has the culture. He does and that's why people believe him That's why people go to him. That's why people go to Naomi Every single person that's ever gone to Naomi says the same thing They're used to doctors seeing them for five minutes and then pushing them out the door Naomi sits down and talks to them and I, I will say this like I didn't plan on even talking about this but there's a young lady that we both deal with right now with uh, She might have to have surgery And uh, I get emotional just talking about this. She was she was a wreck, you know, she came into the gym and she was just beside herself because she's only 20. And she's talking about now getting into her fourth and then fifth surgeries. And it was hard. And I really care about this person. She'd been an athlete of mine and she's uh, still, you know, with me now because of that culture, I feel, but between between the conversations we were having and the fact that Naomi got back to, geez, I don't know, she wrote Naomi like 10 different questions about what could happen to her. What doctor does that? What well, doctor takes the time to respond and to really give that client you know, the time? And she does, and John does. And that's, again, where I feel like that culture is what you want to find. If you're looking for somebody you can trust and somebody you can really talk to, And somebody that you can refer to you want to look for that first is did they establish that kind of experience and culture right within their own systems do they have that kind of reputation if they don't move on absolutely
0: culture culture yeah yeah.
2: can I just pipe in about the um, supplement question about you know what can you trust what can you not trust you know as an MD uh, going into business as an owner of a supplement company that was really a very important question to me because Um, I don't really trust supplements, to be quite honest. I think that the FDA oversight is really a lack of oversight, unfortunately. And so, you know, learning the process of not only creating a supplement, but um, learning sort of how there is oversight in the supplement world, specifically through manufacturers, and then finding a manufacturer in the U.S. that uh, had the same values that I did as far as, you know, purity, checking testing, you know, being able to say to my patients, Hey, what's in this jar is actually in this jar. That meant a lot to me. And thankfully I have a job that I love and I don't have to make a fortune on selling supplements. And so I was willing to pay the extra to have a manufacturing company produce a product that actually is what I'm marketing it to be. Does that make sense?
0: Totally.
2: So I think, you know. Does this mean
0: that, that all supplement companies are bad besides yours?
2: No, it doesn't. It means that you have to do the research on any supplements you're taking and find out where they're manufactured. And should you and consult you can, a
0: physician with, before you start taking them?
2: You should. You know, the reason that that is on every single label is because that's FDA, that you have to put that on a supplement label to be able to sell your product over the counter. And whether, you know, there's any interaction that we would expect or not expect, or whether your physician has any idea about supplements or nutrition, or how that might interact with your medications, you know, are really good questions. I think, you know, your confusion is real and our patients are somewhat lost in the world right now. Um, because of a lot of these issues, like John was alluding to, you know, between social media and what's available on the internet and, you know, World Wide Web, right? You know, you you can find information from 27 sources in half a second, and you know, they could all be totally bogus. But Isn't there might a sh- be that's one. Isn't such a shame? Though, that's though. It's good. so bad. Well, and that it's very hard to tease that out. You know, I see it with my kids who are learning how to write book reports and cite reliable websites and that is a challenge you know they don't know what's reliable or what's not reliable and so they're learning from you know age 6 on now and none of us learned as adults when the web sort of blew up right so i mean i think it's such a good question i mean personally I don't, I don't cite any websites um, for research reasons unless they are associated with an academy of some sort, if there is, um, you know, if these are reputable researchers, if they are associated with the university program. I mean, I think those are all things to look out for. Um, it doesn't mean that there's, you know, that that manufacturers of supplements that don't manufacture with a manufacturer that is in you know, pharmaceutical grade, um, isn't a good product. It doesn't mean that it just means you have to be wary. Like John was talking about before with traits and, you know, genetics, predisposition risk. I mean, all these things are sort of like, you know, maybe there's some association. We can't promise that it's a hundred percent pure. We can't promise that it's garbage. You know, it, you're taking, you're taking your life in your own hands when you take things that are not being, you know, really looked at from a research perspective.
0: Very well said. And what about alcohol As another form Mm -hmm. of supplementation. Max 40. You don't cut it out all the way. Do you cut it out all the way to get better results? Um, What is considered abusing it when you start talking about the the Food and Drug Administration and the Alcohol, Tobacco and everybody that talks about the numbers of what it is to be a social alcoholic or how many alcoholic beverages can you have on a daily basis or can you save them all up for Saturday night and still be under that realm of not being labeled an alcoholic or should I not drink at all if I want to get the ultimate results out of my body? Is it a case by case study? Or am, is alcohol the devil, too, when it comes to when you get to your 40s, it's time to give all that up and, and get on with the more important things in life?
3: I mean, Matt can answer this from a trainer standpoint, but um, and as a strength coach, but I've had two beers during this podcast, so I don't know if I'm the guy to answer this. But uh, it, it's, it's more about that balance approach, right? If, if I want to drop into the single-digit body fat percentage, I need to stop having beer during the week. You know what I mean? So when I start ramping up for a competition, that stuff starts ramping down because my goals change, right? I'm trying to come in as lean as possible athlete into a competition. But... I enjoy having a good beer. I have a two year old. And if you have anybody out there that has a two year old, I need a beer at night. (laughs) And and that's just part of my life and that's the part that I enjoy. So I'm happy with where I'm at. I'm happy with the progress. And if you can handle that balance, great. Now is there abuse? Absolutely. Like there's you know, if I'm drinking, you know, ten beers a night, we have a conversation to be had. But if you're having two beers and that's part of your your social and your decompression, I don't see a problem with it. But if you come to me and you're like, Well, I can't drop these last five pounds, well now we can talk about where we can tighten some things up. You know, so, and Matt obviously deals with
1: this a lot more than I do, because i'm the one having beer <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so i i've never really been a drinker, actually, the first alcohol I really had when I think I was when I turned thirty, and so it just wasn't a part of my life socially and and it probably is mainly because I was you know competitive as an athlete when I was younger and just didn't want to. I just saw my body as being that temple and if I can get one percent faster by not putting in anything uh, into my body that it couldn't use positively for fuel then, then that was sort of my mindset. And so when I did get into the social aspect um, when I was a little bit older you know a beer here and there or you know some uh, some alcohol here and there it's it's certainly a part of my life now but it's very social a lot of my clients that i talk to they have to put that into perspective like john already alluded to where if they're having uh a beer and they're happy with that and it's part of their social uh activity and that is part of what they enjoy doing I think it's important to be able to do those things, but if they want to drop that last percent, they want to go from, you know, whatever, 12% to 8%, then yeah, that's when you really have to look at not having that beer or maybe only having it, you know, once a week or something like that. And it's not something I think about too much, but my wife and I were out last night with our daughter. We went out and got some food and we shared a margarita. We don't really think twice about that, but it's not something that's regular in our, in our lifestyle, right? And so, you know, my wife is hot, right? You know that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and everybody... Uh, people are always asking, you know, what, what is she, what does she take, right? She doesn't take any supplements. Um, when she was training for her black belt, which she was awarded best tester, by the way, she did take Dr. Nies, uh, supp- Dr. Nye's supplement, right? And that definitely uh, helped her. But in general, she doesn't take supplements at all. She doesn't take multivitamins, none of that. It's just more about, I think her lifestyle overall that gives her the results that she wants. But, she does drink more, a little bit more than I do, and that's her social choice, and that's what she enjoys. I believe she's out right now with her uh, girlfriend and, and having a couple mm-hmm. drinks, right? Girlfriend, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> but I I definitely think that that's um you know a choice that everybody has to make for them themselves, and uh you know Mike Stoker, you know he's probably a great example of. He has probably a glass of wine pretty much most nights, and I mean, look at the guy. Or you
0: three, know? or three stoke.
1: I know you. Right, you know, but he doesn't limit himself there, and he's healthy and he's happy. And so, you know, what's the what's the harm? He's he's got he's got great health and great cardiovascular, great uh, you know, muscle skeletal strength, all those things for a guy in his uh, late sixties. And you know, there's there's no stopping him, right? So why why would he change that at all? He doesn't care if he has maybe you know 12% body fat instead of eight like he had when he was younger. That's not the important part to him. So you know it comes back to knowing your your why. Um the last thing I'll say on the why conversation, because we did cover this before for Max 40, I like to ask why about seven times. Five, six, seven times, okay. And that's actually an academy I belong to, but it just basically you can you can try this on yourself you come up with a goal for yourself and you ask yourself why. And then ask yourself why again. Keep asking yourself why. Five, six, seven times, you come to the more intrinsic value of that why. And that gives you a little bit stronger of resolve for what you really want to do. You end up realizing that it has more to do with things like being healthy and strong for your family, being a good role model. Uh, you know, having those kind of more intrinsic goals will help you to set a good lifelong path to your health and fitness. And having that beer, having that wine isn't not going to interfere with that as long as it fits into your why i say you do you
0: dr naomi naomi i was 18 when my dad turned 40 and i remember sitting up on top of the couch and watching him uh you know celebrate his birthday thinking god dang my dad's old (laughs) I, i know we all went through this in our lives when we were 18 20 years old like 40 was old and now i'm 44 and then les sits down and he's 78 and that's to me is like not old because being around this lifestyle you're 60 62 you're supposed to stop working your retirement age you collect your your benefits you get your aarp card you go to denny's for your discount that shit's not right i'm being for real like it's like i watch willie nelson and i and i don't care how he got to be 85 years old but he's not he's playing concerts four nights a week Les is hitting a heavy bag in a speed bag like Sugar Ray Leonard three days a week. He's climbing to 11,000 feet to kill a sheep last year at 77 years old, and he's doing 12 to 15, 17-mile walks a day uphill. Doesn't sprain his ankle because of what we talked about, training your why. Matt gets him in these exercises that if he does lose his balance with a heavy pack, he's got a rifle in one arm. He can still stabilize his core and himself at 77 years old. There, the, we are kind of turning back the clock a little bit like Wilford Brimley did in that swimming pool in the movie Cocoon, which would be badass if that could really happen. <laughs> but you really do look at somebody like Aaron Pandola and go, I was reading like, this is 35 years or older. And I'm like, she's not even old enough to take that. But she is. She's what, 38? She looks 21, her body. And she just, you're just like, wow. Like she doesn't, like we are turning back the clock through healthy lifestyle, Better decisions, um, more of a, um, just getting in your zone and making sure that you stay consistent. Consistent in m- consistent messaging and marketing is like the key to success, right? Ford taught us that during the Great Depression. He stayed consistent. Even though nobody had their money, he's like, I'm still going to keep this product in front of their face because when the money comes back, they're going to buy my stuff. And it worked. And then with this lifestyle, I'm looking at it like I want to invest in myself Because I don't want to die. I'm not scared to die, but I don't want to die because I freaking love life every day, right? And when I'm when I'm motivated more and more by successful people like you guys and Les at 78 years old, and I don't even know if it really bugs Les or pisses him off to all have have somebody around him always saying how old he is. I do it because it's like my grandma died at 62. My other grand my grandpa died at 49. My other grandma died at 70. So I'm looking at it like, man, there is that's young still. 62 is not young. My mom's 64 and I look at her like every day like, damn it, that's like perfect age to get going in life. Howard Stern's 64 and he makes $55 million a year doing what we're doing right here on these microphones. And that motivates me. No matter if you agree with his stance or what he says, or it doesn't matter. He could retire any day of the week and be fine. His grandkids and great grandkids would be fine. My point is, is that We really are, have the ability to turn back the clock a little bit. And I read this quote on here that says, why act your age? And it's really cool. Like why, I mean, I know we got to be mature. We got to, we got to not act like a three-year-old when we're 44, even though I want to sometimes. And even though Les does a lot of the times in public, got Matt kicked out of a Starbucks once, not acting his age. (laughs) I'm not trying to ramble here. I'm just simply saying that, There's no way that you can feel right if you can't tie your shoes or you're out of breath picking your baby up or going up and down the stairs. Get your ass motivated. Do some squats. Do some military jump squats. Consult a physician and a trainer and get, it might cost a little bit of money. But what you said on that 8% return, holy shit, if you can live another 15 years and go to your grandson's graduation at Lawler Event Center, like my grandma and grandpa didn't, then what the hell? That's investing in yourself. So I don't, uh, we've been talking for two hours and five minutes. It doesn't seem like we have. I know that it's been, it's been engaging to me. I like it a lot. I really do like this topic. We didn't, I wanted to make sure that we covered what you guys wanted to cover because this is your baby and I think it's awesome. I think we did in a lot of ways. I know that we got off kilter a little bit on some of them but i'd really like to do it again and maybe make it a consistent messaging that we do bring this thought process because i think it's a thought i think it's a discipline and a thought process to think like this and i think that that's where you get results i think that organization is the key to success i think that discipline is the key to success i think that transparency and honesty and ethics and morals are the key to success and if you do things right and you abide by that and you and you respect the elders and you respect your body and you take care of your kids and you're there and you're and you're 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 engaged it's one thing to be impressionable it's a second thing to be engaged i want people to be engaged in this and really look at it and go they are onto something there they really are because you can get your ass kicked in life if you let it kick your ass. And if you let it go on too long, it's going to be harder to come back for it. And I, and I, and I don't like to bring up my brother, Clay, because Clay is, he keeps telling me, I want to start working out. Clay was an All-American in high school. He was an All-American in a D1 college. He was the Gatorade player of the year in three sports in high school. That doesn't happen very often. You know that that does not happen very often. He was an absolute stud. He still is but he keeps, he keeps saying, I'm going to get started. I'm going to get started. And he doesn't get started. And I'm like, get started. And I'm, and I'm not just trying to use him as an example. That's the norm. I think it's like, don't be just do something right. Clay could come in here and kick my ass right now in most athletic events. I'm not saying he can't, he can jump up and do a toe tap four feet in the air, amazing athlete. But I'm looking at it like health wise, where are we really at? I could kill over tomorrow and I work out way more than he does. It's. I'm just saying that it's getting started and trying to create a routine, and that there is something to be said in this messaging that we're trying to deliver here. And I think that I think that this max forty lifestyle is the right way to live. It's not the only way, but it's the right way because nobody wants to be out of shape. I don't care who, who you are. I don't think that that's. I don't. I don't think that that can fathom in my mind that somebody wants to be out of shape or not feeling good. Yeah, I
1: just. Uh, I'll finish with this, but. With the Max 40, I created a checklist where you can look at your power 10 checklist, I call it. And it's a way to journal or to log, I guess you would say, but it only should take about two minutes a day. You check off the boxes, right? Did I have water upon rising, right? Those kind of questions, just to kind of check in on yourself, see where your set point is right so am I making better choices now what what are my micro goals and am I getting 1% better essentially is is maybe the goal here trying to get just 1% better at a time not trying to make these big jumps but one step at a time and realizing that that's really the habitual process that you want to create for yourself and I believe in accountability so when clients work with me like you do you have that accountability a little bit more through me, but I find that logging helps a lot. I do train some people online. I do work with people online. And when we do it that way, that process that we create through their logs allows them to sort of see where their true set point is, you know, and where's my set point in my fitness and how much am I really moving over the course of, these three days initially. And how, how is my nutrition really over the course of these three days? I might have them log in their nutrition for three days to find a set point. So we know how much they really have been taking in or what their macronutrients are really like. And from there we can create a a better micro goal and move on from there. But you have to, I think, keep yourself accountable. One of the best ways I think is just to create that, that sort of set point for yourself and then work from there so logging works really well or journaling in other words and keeping yourself a little bit more accountable that way right and then uh john i know naomi and myself and and you were working on this max 40 program we're still kind of in that launching phase we've been doing some seminars locally I know John's uh, done some work to uh, start to post a little bit more about what we're doing. And we are putting together some materials so people can get online and check us out. But what I really think ultimately is that if people are interested a little bit more information about this, they can get on to our Max 40 Site John, what what is that? So Facebook page,
3: yeah, Max Forty on Facebook, and then uh, eventually we all have our own independent websites, So we'll probably start pulling those together into a single resource for people. But um, we're very much still building this out. We're responding to kind of what we're seeing. I mean, we have ideas and and what we want this to be. And then the more we get to interact with this population, the more we see that okay, well, maybe we need, this is what seems seems to resonate with people. And this is what we need to kind of adjust our, you know, how we deliver this message to people so they don't feel overwhelmed. I mean, obviously sitting here, listening to the three of us talk, I mean, we have so much information we want to give that sometimes it can feel just overwhelming. So we're still building out, you know, easily digestible pieces for people to kind of start, you know, reflecting back on some of the things we're giving them. Um, but definitely, you know, the Facebook page is where we'll probably start this. And then of course, all of our individual Instagram pages are easy ways to kind of get a hold of us as well. So
0: I think that our audience is very—it's very important to me for our audience that listens to this and watches where we've consistently built Matt's in the Pendola Fitness and Pendola Project message into. We get a lot of interaction because of it, based on first motivation. A lot of our people are looking for a lot. I said my people, but a lot of our consumers, our in consumers, our potential in consumers, our fans, our audience are looking for that they're looking for a little bit of motivation like whoa it can be done and when you give them things that are in a very very non-arrogant humble through humility way of like hey this isn't the end all this is just some hints to get started and here's why the i the why i got started in it like i i would never want to go into duck season. As easy as that sounds, duck season is hard. It's, it can destroy you mentally. It can destroy your psyche. And then physically, I mean, you're up late. You're up early. You're, you're barely getting any sleep. You're in the elements. You're in different positions with your body. You're on uneven ground. You're doing a lot of things that you that, that can be detriment to your body. And a lot of us think that we can get away with doing it consistently with success and in, in consistency and being out of shape. And it's not the case. I'm trying to say, go through duck season in just a little bit better shape this year than you were last year. You might fall a little bit out of shape during season because there are going to be biscuits and gravy. There are going to be 15-day stints where you don't get in the gym with Matt. I'm doing a lot better of getting back here more of getting in because I don't want to miss it three years ago I'd be gone for 60 days at a time and then I'd come back and be like oh but now I'm like no I'm not gonna do it I'm not gonna do it to myself I'm gonna get back in there ASAP and I think once you get that mental block out of your mind or the what's the word that we used in our podcast threshold I love that word threshold and I think it's so it's so um, relevant in the max 40 thing is that there are a lot of thresholds that can hold you back but as soon as I got rid of that one I'm like no I'm getting back in there I'm not staying I'm gonna stay more religious to this workout and it, it works for me. So I went through this season like feeling so much better, so much more in shape and strong and able to do the things that I wanted to do and feel better about it. And then when you look at the camera, you're like, man, I even look a little bit better. <laughs> so then I got my vanity out of the way by not staying out to, you know, not do, abusing my body the way that I would three, four years ago. So I think those thresholds can be beaten. I think that with consistent messaging and what you three are doing is awesome. I hope the name Max 40 is people understand that it doesn't just mean when you hit 40 start getting the practice in now 50 60 70 it doesn't stop I really don't think it stops and I tell my mom all the time yeah you've had hurdles yeah you're a widow yeah you're you're a nurse practitioner you have a freaking master's in nursing you're freaking smart that's like one or two years away from being a doctor a nurse practitioner you're smart you guys like you We love you. You got so much to live for. Get your ass in the swimming pool. Get in the gym. Find a way. I got scoliosis. Then get off the heating pad and let's do something that. And she's in. She's doing it. She's like motivated now. She's hyped up. She's getting in the pool. She's spending more time with her grandkids. She's being more interactive. And it just took a little bit of motivation to get there. But it doesn't matter if you're 64 and you've had all of life's experiences. You still need to pick me up once in a while. I don't care how much success I've had in life. Sometimes I got to go to Matt and go. Man, dude, I'm getting my ass kicked. I want to be able to have somebody to go, man, get back on it. I want to have somebody to go talk to. Nobody knows everything. You do need a life coach. You do need motivation in life in a lot of different formats. And people can be motivating you without even knowing they're motivating you. And that's special to me. So without getting that network out there, and without getting this word out there, people might not know that there is a less out there or that there is a map because everybody's like, oh, if you don't have 75,000 followers and 12,000 likes on every picture, I'm not going to listen to you. And I'm like, you're a dipshit forever even thinking that way. <laughs> That's what I've learned about social media is that you think that I'm the best duck hunter in the world because I have 90,000 followers on my site when really I'm a little bit above average, but probably below average in most duck hunting instances compared to John David Stanley or Les or Kirk or, or, or Dave Stanley. I'm, a, I'm average at best but i've gotten this platform that i can show people that i don't want to show people think pe- i don't want people to think i'm the best at it don't think i'm the best just because i'm on tv or i have a big social media following and i think that that's a big a big topic of today is like we have to trust in the people that have been there done that and have been educated on this so getting the message out there about something in its infancy stage like this in the foundation is important and i hope that it re- you know resonates with people and they're like man i'm going to get involved if we get two people off their ass today to get moving, just move, right, Matt? If we get yeah. two people to do it, we did our jobs. But it's gonna be more than that because it's a special way to live, holding yourself accountable and being there for your kids and hold, and, and making sure that you're there for many years to come because I wanna be like that when I'm 78. I promise you I wanna be like that. Maybe a little bit better looking, but I wanna be, be like him, I really do. I wanna be successful, I wanna live a long life, I wanna have a lot of friends, I'm just kidding. I want to. I want to really, really have a a long life that's that's plentiful.
2: But you want quality.
0: Quality. I, I mean, don't. That's
2: what we're talking about. Yeah, I
0: want a quality life. I really do. It's so important to me. I don't want to take one second for granted with how special life is and the message that y'all just threw down and i don't even know if we covered the topics that you wanted to i feel like we we're off to a good start i think we need to do it again i do want to talk about sleep habits i want to become a better sleeper <laughs> that's that's a pretty easy goal right but it's hard there's a lot of things that deter me from that and and i want you guys to come back with more topics because i was i was really into it today of like man there's a lot of there's a lot to learn in life at 44 i thought i knew most of it and i don't know shit so <laughs> I appreciate it. I think that this life ain't for everybody is, is signifies what we're talking about because it's not, I mean, everything that we talked about might not be for everybody out there, but if, if you really do want to feel better about yourself, if you want to, you know, control your destiny more, have a quality of life, get up and do something about it. Max 40. Matt, you, you do the outro. We're going to play this song on, on here, you know, that we do at the end of every podcast. I don't hit the button. Tom's going to, when this goes live It's by my good friend in Nashville from Mississippi, Leith Lofton. He wrote a song called What You Going to Do When the Money's All Gone. And that resonates with me because I don't chase the dollar. I chase the experience and the message. And I I really appreciate the message today. And if you guys have anything else to uh, say before we cut part one of the Max 40 podcast off, go ahead right now, Matt, John, Naomi. But Thank you all very much.
1: Yeah, i want to thank john and naomi for uh being here today with us and we've done a lot of podcasts together but i think this is one of the better uh podcasts we've done on getting good information out and of course we have a couple experts in the room and you know really with uh my facility there's only so many people that i can train but i want to be able to help more people than just who's uh, local in reno and so this is a way to do that and with john and naomi's help i feel like we're well on our way so uh guys
2: i just want to say thanks for having us obviously i think this is this is great it's a good start i think uh we're lucky to have found each other out there in uh reno and i agree i think this is this is just the beginning so hopefully we hear from some of you out there and um you can give us some ideas about where you where you'd like to see this go as well
3: yeah definitely uh thanks for having us this was a lot of fun and just to see your enthusiasm i think for this just really motivates us. You know, I think we walk out of here a lot, a lot more motivated than, than even normal. You know what I mean? Just to kind of see, you know, having somebody kind of give us that feedback has been super valuable. So thank you for having us. And uh, this, yeah, look forward to next
0: time. How much do you bench? Uh, 370 pounds. Right now? Right now. How much do you weigh? 178 pounds all the way down and all the way up, or is that a towel bench? That's with
3: the paws, my brother. <laughs>
0: 370 is one, two, three, four, five, six plates. That's 315. 370 minus 315 is Three
3: plates, 25s, and, two, and like two and a halves.
0: Damn, can you lift this table? <laughs> It looks like table. a very nice table, though. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Tom. Everybody out there, this is Chad Belding. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Get out there. Get moving. Get motivated. Find your motivation somewhere. And uh, don't forget about that North American Whitetail Championships coming up this fall. I appreciate y'all's support. This Life Ain't For Everybody. Tom, go ahead and play What You Gonna Do When The Money's All Gone. Thank you, Leith Lofton and Drake White, for writing that song. It won't last that long. What you gonna do when the money's all gone?